0: Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, this is episode number 91 of the Northern Northern Football Podcast. I'm host Thomas Knapp with analysts Peter Galindo and Alex Gangaruzic. Back in the NFP headquarters, officially one month left to go to the World Cup in Qatar. I could not be more excited to be there. Uh, How are the burritos, gentlemen? Welcome back.
1: Yes, two birds with one stone. Because I said to Alex, I'm like, I can record at my place this week but uh you know maybe we could try on a double cooking show plus recording show and it worked out the burritos were fire in more ways than one
2: stunning my tongue is burning but it you was, were
1: sweating up until about two minutes yes, ago I from was the
2: spice sweating profusely but it, the burritos were sparkling peter brought some guac he brought some chipotle mayo yeah uh, we made a bit of some like i don't even know how to describe it it was like a jalapeno sauce
1: Actually, the uh, the review from Alex, and I'm quoting him directly here. He's like, "It's like watching Ismail Kone play soccer for the first time." That's how good the <laughs> burrito was, apparently. And I would agree, honestly.
2: That's a good way to tie it back to soccer. Speaking of Ismail Kone, <laughs> yeah. oh, you're going to talk a lot about Ismail Kone today.
0: Yeah, we'll chat uh, Ismail Kone in uh, uh, very shortly, just a bit. And a quick reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you do listen to us on Apple or Spotify. Uh, please give us a rating and a review. We are at 160 on Apple and 237 on Spotify, uh, which means just three away from total combined, 400 five-star ratings on both. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Northern Football and our personal accounts at PW, Alex Gangaruzic, and Thomas Neff. Canadian heavy squad of Montreal beginning their playoff uh, MLS campaign. Uh, CPL Star Finals also underway. A Canadian soccer update, while MNT players abroad in Europe remain uh, picking up crucial minutes, and finally, Canada bouncing out of the U-17 Women's World Cup in India. Uh, So, the first rounds of the MLS playoffs are in the books, and the conference semifinals are set, which will include CF Montreal after they beat Florida Outfit Orlando City 2-0 on Sunday, Ishmael Kone. Uh, was named man of the match scored the opener before Georgi Mihaljevic converted a late penalty uh, Ramsey asks, with Kony essentially a lock at this point is there a chance with team start versus let's say Croatia or Morocco
1: I feel like there's as good of a chance of him starting any of those games at this point and I'm, I'm not just saying that for hyperbole I, I genuinely do believe that because once again if you look at how he performed on the big stage Alex yes he looked unfazed by it, and he shined. He he took that pressure. He exuded calmness and confidence on the ball and j- just did not look phased by anything in that situation. Yet again, just like in the Champions League, just like in his first cap for Canada, yes, he did have his issues in his first start for Canada, but that's going to happen to a young player at 20 years old. And I understand Orlando wanted to play this way, but if you kind of rattle through some of the numbers... Kone completed 10 of his 12 forward passes and he was 6-for-6 passing in the final third, which kind of goes to show you not only was he involved in the game, he was making things happen even outside of that goal. I know that the concern at this point for listeners is, oh, well, he might not be defensively responsible. That could leave Canada a little susceptible. I dug into the numbers here. Actually, Alex, you and I both dug into the numbers just before we recorded. And uh, his defensive work rate... Is actually quite understated you look at him in that advanced role that is his best position but it's not like when you push him into that advanced role he's not going to defend he's still averaging about 4.7 pressure regains per 90 minutes 16.4 overall pressures per 90 minutes which is solid for a midfielder both of which are and he's sixth in total pressures and total regains among all Montreal players and he's third on the team in pressures in the middle third so you know he's going to track back and get involved is he defensively prolific or proficient maybe not but it's not like he's not going to put in the work because at the end of the day guys if Kone was not defensively responsible at least he would not be getting Canada call-ups
2: yeah and even for Munchal uh, despite what the numbers suggest, by advanced numbers, they were a top three defensive team in mm-hmm. MLS this year. So to have Kony regularly start for them gives an idea. Plus, he's averaging almost three interceptions per ninety minutes—a good stat to tell. Uh, it's it's always tough for a young player to get interceptions. You know, a good metric of how you read the game. Mm-hmm. So for well for Kony as well, there's just multiple factors going his way right now. Uh, I think one. While it sucks not to see, say, example, Kyle Laren and EK Ugo, they're struggling for for form and minutes at the club level. All of a sudden, that opens up room not just for for a guy like Coney to slot in because he's in form, but also, you know, we've talked at length about the midfield battle, uh, etc. So between them, maybe considering a trio. Then you look at Kyle Laren, maybe struggling for minutes. Uh, Ike Ubo as well, all of a sudden they're, you know, maybe pushed back to the bench and then Kone could genuinely start because Muncho makes a deep run and he's playing like this. And there's already such a strong Montreal contingent expected to play. Things are looking good for Ismail Kone, both due to his just how he's performed individually. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll talk in a sec about where this sort of run can lead, just because it's been so good, but also due to factors around him. Things are looking very good for him a month out from potentially starting or playing good minutes in Qatar, which is again impressive yeah. uh, based on his rise. Yeah,
1: because that's now the the conversation, and it's been like this since the September window. I feel like people. Either they haven't really seen Kone up close in a while, so they maybe forgot about this. But it's not even a case of, oh, is he going to the World Cup? No, he's going to the World Cup. Cup. It's just how big of a role is he going to play? That's now the question. And it seems to be a lot bigger one now.
0: Ben asks, what is the ceiling of Ishmael Kone? Borean's pants. If Kone gets a chance to play and shows well at the World Cup, what level of club do you think will be looking to buy him in January?
1: (laughs) Well, we know that championship clubs were after him for about $5-6 million. You can imagine that they're going to be Bundesliga clubs. I'm sure Belgian clubs are going to come back in for him because he trialed over there. So I feel like that right now is at least what he can strive for. His ceiling, as John Herdman said in the press conference just ahead of the September window, he was speaking to someone he knew at Norwich City who said that he has tier one player potential. And I would agree with that. The way that he is just so composed in pressure situations that's the sign of a top player the fact that you embrace that and shine in those situations and then the fluidity on the ball the the ability to to just read the game no situational awareness have having just all those intangibles that most 20 year olds would not have you imagine the ceiling is tier one
2: I'd say the ceiling, even to be more specific, it's not just top five leagues. I think it's a top five team in a top five league. Like I think it's like a Champions League level team Whoa. in a top five league. Uh, just because you are looking at small Kone, it, you know, it, he's 20 and... He just plays so such a polished game, and then what he has is he's also got the physical tools, something very important as well. He's mm-hmm. he, you know he's above six foot. Uh, he he's you know he's able to cover a lot of ground. But what impressed me is his technical skills. Like yeah. he's just so polished technically, and just watch watch him play. I think an easy example is his goal. Yes. For example, the way he shades into space. He receives the ball in an uncomfortable position. He's a right footer. You want Mm -hmm. to take it on his right. The way he shifts it over to his left all in one touch and slides it through the keeper... That's a tough move yeah. for seasoned strikers to yes. to make, and this is a midfielder who's doing in it in his on first his,
1: professional season. Yes, Let's in his first that.
2: professional playoff game, doing this in a high pressure situation. And again, just watch some of his clips. That's what I remember about him. He's technically sound and he's brave. I think of his debut against Santos Laguna. He's out there in a Champions League tie against a Mexican team, and he you know he tried chipping a goalkeeper and it almost worked like he That's has right. that sort of combination as well of i, I think it's because of those three factors a he's got the physical tools which always counts for something especially if you're looking at in england which is why i'm sure sheffield uh you know united was looking at him i'm sure why english clubs will love him is because he has that mm-hmm. physical makeup b it's the technical skills which will you know open him up to a la liga yeah. to a to a Bundesliga etc and then most importantly it's his bravery and how he ties it all together he's so clean technically but he knows that he plays like it. there's some great kids who come up technically who are strong but they don't necessarily have that bravery or they're not able to express it so i just think with how mature of a game that Kone has he can play at such a high level if he continues to develop
0: definitely taking all the risk and uh, like you say some are even paying off at times peter with uh, what you mentioned belgium and obviously, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, English clubs in the championship. Is Liga an
2: option? Hundred percent. Clubs of it from is. there.
1: Oh yeah. Of oh, oh, I would imagine they are. Yeah.
2: I mean, it would make sense with the language. It makes yep. sense just because you know there's been some Canadians making that jump up. Yep. I think he fits Which the is pro-
1: very important factor actually.
2: I mean, he fits the profile of the league. So
1: <clears throat> yeah.
0: Star heard two scouts were in attendance to see Kone. Any clue as to what clubs they represented?
1: No, unfortunately not. But again, I think just based on his past and then who he has been linked to, you can probably assume it's someone from the championship or someone from Belgium or someone from... Again, I would be stunned if Bundesliga clubs weren't looking at him either. I think he'd be perfect for the Bundesliga as well. Like for one of those kind of mid-sized clubs in that division where you know he'll get a lot of minutes... But it's still a high enough level of play that, you know, he's not going to be starting kind of in, in, in a lower position, if that makes sense, which I, I think would be the ideal. But that would be like the dream move to go to a top five league straight away for a midsize club and starting every week. But you would take a Belgium, you would take a, a league of that tier.
0: Canadian fans are also still gutted, some at least, uh, that Augsburg uh, signed Ricardo Pepe, who hasn't been working out over Tatian Buchanan.
1: Yeah, that's true. He's doing well at Groningen again, but that was definitely a lot of money to spend for Ricardo Pepe. 20 million. Yeah, for a player who was very one-dimensional still. Very
2: unpolished.
0: Yeah. How much will this playoff front by the impact uh, will do to bolster the the player's chances of uh, making it to Qatar? Uh, Rip the impact name, but uh, uh, nonetheless uh, he will be making it to Qatar. I mean, we already discussed that.
1: Well, uh, first of all, it'll always be the impact to me. I don't care how many rebrands they do, it'll always be the impact, and even locals are still calling it the impact. It'll definitely help the likes of Kone, who were on the roster for sure, but then what is their role going to be? But it can even help the Samuel Piaz and the Alistair Johnstons of the world, the guys who you would imagine, yeah, the guys you would imagine would be locked in for spots on that roster and probably starting spots, but because they will be in mid-season form still or at least like in good form in terms of their match rhythm, just the level of play they're, they're playing at. That could give them the edge starting over certain guys. So it, it, it works for both the guys who are kind of on the fringes, like say a Joel Waterman, mm-hmm. to someone who would be more established in the Canadian team like Alistair Johnston.
0: Montreal now faces the defending MLS Cup champions NYCFC at home on Sunday at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. How do they match up with the champions?
2: Should be an interesting game. I think New York City FC has obviously gone through a lot of change. They lost uh, Ronnie Dyla in the the middle of the season. So Mm -hmm. it was going to be interesting to see how they uh, would adapt without him. But uh, bringing in manager Nick Cushing... Uh, surprisingly, like they've just kind of rolled through without him, and despite losing Tadi Castellanos, many people thought that would destroy them. But amongst the XG numbers, they're a top three team. Like it was Montreal, Philadelphia, and New York City were the top three teams in the East analytically. So they they're really and, and just watch them against Miami. They're so strong in possession. They're a team that uh they they've kind of gone to some really you know the city group you can see it's a really city group team but funnily enough they didn't play like a city group team under uh Dyla. it was a little more counter attacking it was a right. little more let castanio pounce in transition but now it's you know, it's 4-3-3, it's possession, it's get the fullbacks uh, inverted, etc. And that's what was really impressive against Miami, is that on a baseball pitch, they just outpossessed and just really... Like, that last goal they scored was phenomenal. It was like back-to-front team possession. But for Montreal, they're a team that thrives against that. They've got their back three... Uh, you know, Montreal uh, is going to love the way New York wants to press. Montreal seems yes. to dare to play play through teams that press. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because I think defensively this is going to be way more of a test than Orlando was. Uh, they're going to have a chance to to, to really you know the, the Montreal's press is going to be tested in particular because I mean they have a good press but it's really we're going to see it tested. Mm-hmm. How if Kone is going to play as a ten for example? How is he going to react in there? How is Mihailovic going to going to do because he's such a good presser and then mm-hmm. defensively. Uh, or offensively Montreal is going to have a chance to beat that press and if I think if they do with how aggressive New York it is if they can get Kony and Mihailovic in those half spaces in the, in transition they could prosper so I think it's a very intriguing tactical yeah. matchup but a lot of areas Montreal will like
1: about it If you go back to the matches they played earlier this season and I understand a lot has changed from Ronnie Dela going out Nick Cushing coming in you have Santiago Rodriguez and Gabriel Pereira coming in and, and just taking over for Tati Castellanos after he left first of all NYCFC could not contain Montreal's crossing Mm -hmm. unfortunately they just could not finish that game It finished nil nil at Statsaputo Montreal dominated they limited NYCFC to three shots yes they were coming off a short turnaround and whatnot but you imagine if they just continue to play that same way if they continue to utilize specifically Lassie and He was having a lot of success on NYCFC's right side. They can win this game. I think they match up well with anybody in the East, really. I know their record doesn't say that, but if you look at those games individually, they were unlucky not to get more points from them, and NYCFC was one of those matchups where they did very well, but it is going to be intriguing just to see both teams, how they almost counteract each other's strengths because they're both... Uh, very potent in certain areas, as we've seen.
2: Well, wasn't the stat on the broadcast that they were undefeated in 20 straight against the East? So just they had a lot of draws, or yeah. something like that. So they match up, yeah, they match up well against anyone Yay. East and playoffs. Draws are acceptable as long as you, uh, don't, you know, don't get penanked in the yeah, that's true in, yes. the, in the shootout. So that does also bode well for Montreal.
0: Two other MLS Nuggets, the MLS PA released the updated salary guide while the other two Canadian clubs announced their end-of-season roster moves. Toronto FC is not bringing back Alex Bono, Quentin Westberg, Noble O'Kello, and Donia Henry. They are still in negotiations with Chris Mavinga and Jonathan Osorio, uh, whose contracts expire. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps are negotiating with Derek Cornelius, who remains on loan at Panatholikos in Greece. Uh, Lucas Cavallini is also in discussions with Vancouver about potentially sticking around in 2023. Along with Jake Norwinski and Florin Jungwirth, among others. Michael Baldissimo is not returning to the club. Uh, meanwhile, Lorenzo Insigne is officially MLS's highest earner with an annual guaranteed competition of 14 million US dollars. Federico Bernadeschi is on 6.26 million, and Domenico Crescido is at 1.5 million. Uh, Richie Lorea is now earning 1.2 million as well as he's on loan with Toronto. TFC now owns the league's highest wage bill at $32 million, but finished 27th out of 28 teams in the league this season. Vancouver Whitecaps are 15th in salary expenditure at $14.9 million. CF Montreal is 20th at $13.05 million, $3 million of which is going towards Victor Wanyama. Uh, any major takeaways from these roster moves and updated salaries?
1: I guess we'll start with the salaries right now. Um, I think that we see, based on the team payrolls, that you don't have to spend big on player salaries to be successful because seven of the top eight highest spenders missed the playoffs. Yep. The only one of those eight spenders that made it was LAFC. And So on the TFC thing, Lorenzo Insigne is getting $14 million guaranteed, as we just heard. All that, and TFC still have to potentially replace Chris Mavinga on top of probably adding two more centre-backs, provided he a ends up staying. Yes, and a goalkeeper or two. Or I do, three. I, or three, possibly. Um, potentially replace Osorio while also trying to find a Bradley replacement and maybe another midfielder on top of that, and a striker. So th- that's honestly, all Honestly, a
2: right-back. Richie yeah, might not stick cause, around. Because he might on, not stick around. He's on loan.
1: So... Getting your DPs and key players is half the battle, yes, but now the work begins on building up the rest of the spine, which is clearly lacking a lot. You can hopefully, maybe on top of that, with time, once you fill out the rest of that spine, sprinkle in some young players in there, like Philadelphia does, like we're seeing Montreal do, like many other teams, like FC Dallas, are doing. They've given up on another young player in Akello, who I do think had his faults, but that was partially because of the lack of playing time, the inconsistent playing time, the irregular playing time, so he couldn't really develop from there. You can succeed and have the flashy names while also still giving your young players a chance, but the key is you have to have a good pathway from the academy to the second team to the first team and put them in opportunities to succeed. And sure, TFC gives the academy players a lot of minutes this season, but did any of them progress? Did any of them improve? Did any of them lock down places in that team? Did any of them even show any sort of growth? I don't think you can say they did.
2: Yeah, and I think looking at this MLS salary trends, I think it shows that in the new MLS, we're finally seeing the all that that six, seven, eight years of jam and tam really come to the forefront. Because what that meant was, in general across the world, soccer is a sport. It's a weak link sport. It's the sense that. Mm you know the the top players will dominate but what will be the difference between games is the weakest links on a field who you know who's going to shine who's going to prosper in that i think in mls there's such a disparity between the weak links and the top players because of jam you know before jam and tam and the dp system you'd have Beckham on 20 million then you'd have someone on 50k a year whereas now with the the, the gen it, things have stretched out more and more players are crossing the million dollar threshold 500 thousand dollar threshold plus as an added academies are making a huge difference that's a huge thing like not not only before were players you know were teams filling their rosters with academy players they're genuinely thriving like Philadelphia for example like the amount of kids they're constantly rolling through How they were able to sell Brendan you know Brendan Aaronson, Mark McKenzie and then oh, you got Paxton Erhanson, you got Jack McGlynn. You, you've just you know rolling through these sorts of quality players. I think now what you're realizing in MLS is yeah, you can. It's good to hit on your T, you know your DPS. It's nice to have a Carlos Vela or a Lorenzo mm-hmm. Insigne. That it is to not have a Carlos Vela mm-hmm. or a Lorenzo Insigne. But say the difference for an LAFC versus a Toronto FC right now, if you're going to use that example, is your Jose Sifuentes. It's your yes. Maxime Crapos, It's your Mamadou Falls when he was there, obviously, or your Diego Palacios. Uh, you look at Montreal, for example. Obviously, they have their Wanyama, their Mahajloviches, etc. But the difference is your Ismael Coney's. It's your Joe Schwan- Watermans. Your Joel Watermans. Your Matias is Your Kamal Millers. It's those guys at the bo- bo- you know bottom end of the salary chain, as well, especially in defensive positions. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting that teams that have done well. It's like Philadelphia, for example. That back four they've built. You know, Jack Elliott. Uh, you know, got Mabizo at right back. Uh, Andre Blake in goal, they've built a core defensive unit based off of guys uh, that are in that sort of range. So I think that's a key learning lesson now for TFC, for Whitecaps, Mm. for anyone looking to contend is that you have to hit the balance on them. You have to make your right DP signings, but you have to fill out your roster with quality. And then your academy can – your academy is honestly the difference because that's the one where – you know, at a certain point, you run out of money. But with academies, because it doesn't always, you know, doesn't count with the cap if they're they're homegrown. Plus, they're way cheaper. Having a Kone on your roster can be a huge difference because that's a tam level player that you're getting for pennies, and, and yeah. that makes a difference. Yeah.
1: You you mentioned Vancouver. There, the, the only real takeaways for me in terms of the the roster moves that they made why are they negotiating with Jake Norinsky when they're also talking to Marcus Godinho? That makes no sense to me. is a serviceable backup, especially for the for the wages he was on. But I think it also kind of explains Vancouver's problem in a nutshell here is that a lot of those mid-tier earners are not pulling their weight.
2: Well, so Well, that's why I'd say with Vancouver, they've got a really bloated roster. That's the thing. Uh, a lot of the salaries are bloated. Like Tyburn on 400K is a great example of you want to, you know, they rewarded loyalty, they want to keep some continuity, mm-hmm. but, you know, a Tiber on 400K, K and Erwinsky on 350K, some of those numbers, all of a sudden it would make more sense to, you know, you go look in the CPL and you're using an Isaiah Johnston for 50K, or I guess Shawn whatever Young. the minimum, or Sean Young for 67K, or Kunle Luke, or yep. Dominic Zator on 67K, I think... What that's another key thing is that you can't have you can't let the salaries bloat. So that's something yes. that smart teams have done. Uh, we saw it for LFC example. Mark Anthony Kay's salary was starting to bloat, so mm-hmm. they moved him on for a bunch of jam. Yeah, it sucked to lose Kay because he was really good, but it was an example of we're, we're seeing that. You know, a guy like Julian Gressel, when he was moved, he was his salary was starting to bloat for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He is worth the money he's getting, don't get me wrong. But I just think it's an example that uh, there's a certain case where you have to capitalize on that that time. Where someone might be too valuable for your club versus the salary yes, he earns. Exactly. And I think the Whitecaps do need to trim some of that at the bottom of the roster because they have a lot of solid contributors, yep. there. And then there's a lot of guys you're like, okay, there's, there's yeah. some that you know, maybe like, make
1: uh, I probably shouldn't be giving him that. You yeah, de- dedicated to someone. Or else. Daniel
2: Bikel shouldn't be making 600k even if you're not if you're going to sit him on the bench. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, I also can't wait for the Michael Baldissimo redemption tour in the CPL. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's
0: going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, gentlemen, on that topic, I want to present think probably the most interesting topic in, in the entire show i mean you guys will be the judge of this um the u.s has the largest economy in the world the mls is the u.s's uh top tier and according to transfer markets i have it in front of me the mls is the eighth most valuable league in the world in between mm-hmm. the turkish and the portuguese league now they do have 28 teams but here's the thing the salary cap in the MLS is at 4.9, excluding, of course, designated players. And considering uh, expansion, considering the NFL salary cap is uh, $208 million, uh, for the NBA, it's $123 million. I think MLB, I don't even think they have a salary cap. They
1: don't. No. Uh, you, you have a floor. Yeah. But
0: NHL, NHL salary cap just uh, increased uh, recently. So my point here is this. And with American owners as well investing in European clubs, my question is this, and it's a very big, big picture question: If the MLS were to, uh, because of the Apple TV rights, if the MLS were to uh, raise their salary cap from 4.9, excluding DPs, to 10 million, uh, pretty much double it, or even triple it to 15 million, which is you know pretty very possible, or no salary cup at all, could the MLS enter into the, well, into the fifth or even fourth most valuable league in the world?
1: I think the top players will always stay with the top leagues. But that being said, if MLS was in a similar structure to the rest of the world, salary-wise, everything else, it would be a lot more reputable because there are a lot of players who would choose to play and live in the United States, especially if the salaries were competitive. Uh, A lot of them do want to go stateside at the end of their careers or maybe kind of like as their prime is ending, as we're seeing with Bernadeschi and whatnot, as long as the money's there. If you start offering all players of all ages, which you're starting to see now in South America and and in some European leagues that they're starting to offer competitive salaries, it will eventually move up a couple of places. I think right now, I mean, a big reason why it's ranked where it is is number one, the 28 teams, as you mentioned, Thomas. But the second one is, they they are now starting to do what they should have been doing probably 10, 15, 20 years ago in terms of focusing on young players. Because where they are in the soccer pyramid, you have to sustain yourself by selling young players. Now, they have owners to be able to fund them more than, say, certain clubs in Portugal might or certain clubs in Turkey might. But that is what they should be doing. And that's why the the rates are so high is because all these young players are highly regarded. They have... Relatively long contracts, although MLS contracts are always confusing. So that'll end up boosting the value. And as more and more players leave MLS for these other leagues, that only grows the value even more.
2: I think it would help them continue to tap into the South American market, which I think has been their biggest stroke of genius, just because they're already offering competitive wages to a lot of those South American teams. And if they can further increase that, uh like so many of these young guys uh, you know that are coming through they're 10 15 20 million dollar south americans i mean it started with almiron and now you've seen uh you know velasco on dallas uh you've seen you know many facundo torres on orlando you know diego rossi on lfc you go down the list more and more of these top south americans were 10 15 20 million dollar players are coming to the league and then propelling to bigger heights. And I think that's a good way to really increase the value just because, uh, obviously, if, if if possible, you want to get a lot of European players. Uh, you know, you want your... You say it's, you know, it's a reach, but you want Holland to play in MLS. Of course, let's not be yeah, of stupid. Course of course, you'd want Holland or you'd want Mbappe to play in MLS. But those guys are going to play in Europe. They've grown up in Europe. They've been in Europe. But what's interesting is with the South American guys all of a sudden, you know that make using America as a stepping stone is starting to make sense because you get a good salary. You end up being a DP in the league, or you make millions where you might be making, you know, tens of thousands back home. You get to be a star, and then you really get to push up to a higher league. And then if MLS can use those guys, uh, that can really bloat their value. So I think it's going to be tough for always for them to be a top five league just because of the Champions League, the money that's there, the lure of playing that, and all. But there's no reason why they can't compete. Uh, you know, against the likes of Turkey, for example. You know, very good league footballing-wise, but we've seen financially very unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and a lot of and unse- you know, un- insecurity there. You maybe look over at Portugal as well. There, there's no reason why they can't at least try to push for those leagues, no matter how lofty of a goal as it is.
0: So, the, as we all know, the NASL folded because of reckless spending. Uh, no salary cap was in that league. And, obviously, that's why they... Uh, introduced one when the MLS launched in 1996 after the '94 yep. World Cup, but I me mean, look, I understand that guys like Mbappe, Holland will will play in ML, in um, in Europe, uh, the top clubs, no matter what. But there's a lot of players. There's a lot of players that maybe are not playing for the top three clubs in Portugal, not playing for the top three clubs in Turkey, top two in Scotland. I mean, let's be honest here. Back to my question: If the MLS were to actually Start to poach not just the South American players because Alex does he does have a very good point. Uh, even though that I, I still think that the best Argentinians do go to top five leagues and, and or stay at Boca yes, Junior, stay course. at River Play the best Argentinians and the last class of Argentinians go to Arge- go to Chile because that is actually the <laughs> fifth most competitive. No, but it's true. You look at the no, that, you know, I know you're the right, fifth most competitive uh route in the world, the other one being um, the other one being Brazil to Portugal. I mean, that's 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 yeah. a very common right as well, but I don't know. I just think that the MLS needs to needs to get rid of uh, that 4.9 and That oh. maybe they
2: need to raise like, it 100, tw- even, even 12
0: million. Even if they got 12 million, I mean, you're already getting 250 million per season on the Apple TV rights.
2: Plus, you have to rethink to the, end, the DPS. Yeah,
0: but, but w- what if you were to raise the DPS? For example, maybe three to
1: five. Maximum. Just get rid of DPs. Pay pay guys whatever you want and introduce some sort of a salary floor so that teams don't completely bottom out and make it a joke. Because, listen, what would you rather have? Would you rather have one Lorenzo Insigne or would you rather have like three or four guys making $3 million a year? Like, what gives you the better product? What gives you the more competitive team? Probably getting four guys at $3 million per. Now, some might say, well, I still want the the... Insigne's and the and the coming to the league, okay, fair. Some teams will still do that, but at least you then have the option to pay four or five guys at that level. That's why Liga MX for the longest time was ahead of MLS because they were able to pay all those players that same amount of money, and then from player number one to player, say, 16, was relatively speaking at the same level in terms of quality.
2: And I think one thing, if MLS really wants to make a big jump forward, prioritize defenders and goalkeepers. Oh, as well, If, yes. if you could find False. a way, because that's the one thing that the DP system hurts. Just because DP yep. signings, because it's the back and roll, you want sexy DPs. You want yep. DPs that will score 15 goals, that will you know be flashy, get your 15 assists. You don't want Tim Howard? You don't want your, your goalkeepers, <laughs> you don't want your center backs. If if they can find a way to encourage that, if you think about it, there's a market there of way better goalkeepers than center backs because yeah. th- in the top five leagues, there's what, 100 goalkeeper positions of starters? Uh, and then, you know, many of them start all year. So there's some quality backup. So you could call up your MLS, but like, hey, come get a really good salary and come be a star in MLS. And same with center backs. I mean, you know, for most clubs, only three, for center back start there's a you know a mm-hmm. good a good host of center backs who you could poach it would make a lot of sense for mls to really incentivize going after those players because then it would increase the quality of the league and uh, you know really push things forward just because the one thing with mls is such a disparity between the attackers and defenders and it's fun from a neutral viewing standpoint but in terms of overall quality you can only wonder what it would look like if you know an insignia was going up against a you know, a similar style or, or, or capable player defensively or in goal. And you do wonder if there's a way they could incentivize that just because they could be even, there's more value to get. I just think of so many top goalkeepers that could be poached.
1: Roman Burkey was signed by St. Louis. and Everyone's like, Oh, why would you pay 1.3 million for a goalkeeper? Well, like, see, th- this is what convolutes everything because now you're looking at what the player makes and not the actual player. Yeah. Cause the player himself, Roman Burkey could be, and he probably would be the best goalkeeper in MLS. In terms of quality, in terms of technique, in terms of everything, you would imagine. But because he's earning over a million dollars, everyone's like, oh, well, that's a stupid move. Why would you do that? Exactly.
2: And it's just, you look, there's so many examples. I think of, you know, that couple years ago when a guy like jack butlin was relegated from the premier league imagine if an mls mm. team could because he ended up staying in the championship imagine if an mls right. team comes in and you offer one or two million for a goalkeeper who's an english national team regular all of a sudden that's a that's a coup for the yep. league but because of the dp system unless it's tim howard who is an yep. american guy like we haven't seen that sort yep. of money spent so exactly.
0: that is a spot-on uh, observation because at the end of the day what, I think 80% of DPs are used for attackers and midfielders? Yeah, like I mean, that. Yeah. It could be
1: more.
2: It's honestly. that and midfielders, and yeah. even then the midfielders are rare. For, yeah. for every one Yama, you get four Insigne Velas. Yeah. Is- and for
1: every Kubas, you get, yeah. Well,
2: this is the issue, too. I mean, American fans
0: want high-scoring games. I mean, that's just the fact. I mean, a lot of people, and, and still the North American fan, will say, oh, a one nothing game is boring. And and, and fans just think, oh, we'll just sign more insignia so they score three, four goals in a match.
1: Yeah, that might not be the best strategy, though.
0: Moving on now, the CPL. The first legs of the semifinals produced a couple of intriguing results on Saturday. Forge and Calvary settled for a 1-1 draw at Spruce Meadows. Then, Atletico Ottawa earned a crucial 2-0 win over Pacific at Starlight. Uh, What stood out to you in both matches, and what are you watching out for in the second legs this weekend,
1: The Forge Cavalry game was like another classic <laughs> chess match, was it not? Like it was it was
2: bloodbath. It was, a blood it
1: was it. so fascinating to me because from the the start of the game, you could see what the strategies were. Forge was gonna control the game, they were gonna control possession, Calvary was gonna get the ball, and as they like to do, get it forward as quickly as possible into the final third. But what I found so weird was they kept trying to target Forge's right side, and every time they'd hit it long. They would have it covered pretty much. Yet whenever Ashton Morgan would push forward on the left and Kyle Becker would join him, that left Malik Owalabi Balevu covering that essentially that entire flank. And the one or two times the cavalry did get in behind in that area before the goal, they were causing problems. And then, lo and behold, they got their opening goal going down that same side. But and then I found it so intriguing too. Forge were not very active in and around the box in open play. Like, Rubens-Pasillas was the only guy making runs to stretch that defense. Mm -hmm. And credit Calvary's back three for, you know, keeping them at bay. But they weren't really challenged until the set pieces came. Then they were causing problems. Like, Achinodi Johnson smacked the crossbar, I think, off of a set piece. And then Pasillas obviously gets the goal. And you're like, well... That's not a surprise because they were threatening on set pieces. That was really the only area, I think, in, in in terms of when they were attacking, when they were actually giving them problems. Pacific and Atletico, the only takeaway I have here, what the hell was Callum Irvin doing? What on earth was he doing on uh, that play? And then you have to watch the goal back again because watch the pass from Ali Bassett. The, the pass was unbelievable. I'm not going to deny that. No, He probably would have scored anyway. But why would you come out of your box when Balu Tabla very clearly has the ball in his control, and you can't use your hands when you come out of the box? What I would have done there, if that was me, now, of course, Caliber is a professional goalkeeper, I'm not. So, but in that situation, if I see that the player is clearly has control of the ball, he's running towards the box, I would wait a little bit to come out, and then as soon as he's approaching the 18-yard box, essentially, like right at the line, then I would charge and see if I can rattle him a little bit. If he scores, he scores. That's just a great piece of play. It's a great pass, what have you. But he made it easy for for Tabla, I feel. Terrific pass, great composure to score the goal, but I don't know why he came out when he did, because I think he had it covered. And he did it earlier in the game, too. He had a similar mistake, but luckily Amer was there to, to cover it up. And I feel like Irving is prone to those mistakes once or twice, I feel, every couple of months. Terrific shot stopper, but it's those moments when I'm like, I don't know if I can call him a top two, three goalkeeper in the league because of that.
2: Well, I mean, as for the goal itself, I will say, just, I don't know, it's perception because I was in the stadium, so you can see different nuance about the game. The way the ball died on the turf was not normal. Like the way that Ollie Bassett put the pass. I suppose, so I think but... so. what happened is Irving came flying out. Because mm. he thought the way, again, mm. if you wa- if you have a chance to watch again, watch the spin on the ball. Because it looks like the ball is going to shoot into his box. So right. it kind of comes out. And then you realize, like, oh my God, the ball died on the turf. Like it was grass. And then...
1: I he had committed. So I guess, yeah. Ba-
2: that's why I say give credit to the pass. But it is a good point. I mean, that's also the risk in Irving's game. He's so aggressive mm. that you're going to be prone to to maybe being caught out when there's a miscommunication between your defense, uh, as was the case. So, I mean, as you know, and that's true. I mean, think of that Sean Ray, a 40-yard strike he scored from outside the box. And for example, so Irving does have a habit of getting caught on his line. It's fair. I do think in this case, though, the Ollie Bassett pass maybe is, you know, Maybe makes Irving a little worse there than uh, he thought he'd be. But in terms of the two matches really, the way I describe it it was on one in one you know, if it was if it was a fight card on the first leg you had the heavyweights. Just for whatever reason, <laughs> Calvary and Forge, they just swing. Yeah. They swing. Like there's no like there's they're very tactical. It's not just like a close yes. your eyes and swing, but it's like it's heavyweights. It's like it's yeah. heavy punches, it's, you know, momentum shifts. It's a real it's a you know, you know what you're gonna get. It's like, okay, it's gonna be bloody, it's gonna be big, and at the end you're gonna be like, Wow, that was a tilt. Yeah. Whereas Ottawa and Pacific, what I found nuanced. So it was like a, it was like a welterweight fight. Like it was one where like you it's knew that
1: kind of mouse in away.
2: It was like you knew that someone wasn't gonna knock the other out necessarily, yes. but you're gonna you're waiting for that big punch. Yeah. It was really a lot of like head movement, a lot of movement, and that was it was such a fascinating tactical battle. Like Ottawa's defense, again, I was terrific in the stadium live. That was some of the best defending I've ever seen live in a game. Just the, how organized, how disciplined, how just carefully organized they were. But then Pacific—they looked. They had moments in possession where you just felt like, oh, they were coming close. They had a penalty
1: shout in the second half, but I would say that that, no, that would have been weak. The, the, what I would say to that is, I find I found it very inconsistent that. I think it was earlier in the second half, I want to say. Ottawa had a foul just outside the box for a similar foul, yeah. but then they didn't call it in the box. So, like, what's what's the difference, you know? Yeah. But anyway, um, did you find it weird that given Atletico's defensive solidity, they didn't start Jordan Brown? Because I think right after he came on and they had someone to stretch the defense a little bit, that's when some of the problems started. Plus, Marco Bustos went to the right, started to cause problems against Bahus whenever he was man marking him. That led to a few quality crosses into the box, but as Ottawa did, they snuffed it out and didn't really give them too much to to worry about.
2: Well, it's a bit of a mixed question because obviously they miss Alejandro Diaz. Yes, like if they have a number nine like that, he's oh, of course it's might, a they, different. They probably win this game, but at the same time. I feel like that's a disservice to Cam Habibula because I thought he was really good, just the way he... He,
1: he was fine, yeah. I'm just um, saying, like, in well, terms of... That,
2: well, that's what I mean. That's why it's. I wonder is if Cam Habibula is not there and Jordan Brown does Pacific create as much in the middle as they did because they created a fair amount from the middle against a team that was so defensively compact. Like, there were a few chances. Habibula ended up staying on the field. Even when Brown had his chance, it kind of originated from Habibula dropping into space, uh, if I'm not mistaken, cause he was still on the pitch at that point. And a lot of their good chances came from him offering movement and then uh, going from there. So I don't know. It was one of those where it's like the the move to start Abby Willis seemed right, but man, they missed some sort of disruptor in the box. And the one thought I had for example is, it was obviously tactically by design, but could James Merriman have not asked Sean Young to play more of a box disruptor role? Because it felt like there were a lot of times where yeah, he made he made runs thing. where he made runs to the edge of the box. Yes. And like, oh, he should go in there, yes. and, go, and then he just stop. Yeah, and then Cameron. I Abibu, the same thing. Cameron Abibula was the focal point. And you're like, he was so good at dropping, yes. creating. And I just thought maybe there could have been an instruction. Also, there. Sean
1: Young is taller. If you hit the ball high, Sean Young could maybe get a head on to it.
2: Yeah, and even then, he wins it and it goes to a second ball. It yeah. drops to Cameron. I, that's just something tackling. I don't know. I could be. Talking out of my ass. I just no. I agree with you. I saw the exact same An observation thing. where yeah. it felt like Pacific could have had more of a disruptive presence in the box, just for all the amount of crosses they were whipping in.
1: Sorry, Thomas. One more point here. <laughs> just going back to the Forge Cavalry game. I was very pleasantly surprised to see Owolabi Balewu start for Forge. Mm. I actually thought, given the circumstances, he did pretty well. Defensively, he was excellent. I thought the yellow was soft. I don't think that that was. Much of a foul, if at all, on Joe Mason, so I think he was unlucky to get booked for that. Passing-wise, I thought he improved during the game, but it's those little just fine-tuning things that he has to improve to like really take that next step. Because everything there, you love to see. He can read the game very well, anticipates well. For someone who's only 20 years old playing in his first proper professional season, technically speaking, in terms of his composure on the ball, his dribbling abilities, you you love it all. Maybe took an, an extra half second or second too long to release the ball, and that led to a few too many turnovers. It got better as the game went on. I'm really fascinated to see what he does next year, if he can get consistent minutes starting, because I love what I saw from him this year.
0: Great uh, Tom and Jerry uh, analogy. The uh, siren's going off. Uh, Artur Lashinsky. Athletico Ottawa have fully brought their parents' club Grady and sometimes cynical style play to the CPL, which was on full display versus Pacific. Uh, if you could pick another European superpower to adopt a CPL club and bring their style of play to Canada, uh, which one would it be? I think we all know who we're talking about. The Bayern.
1: That's actually not bad. wasn't maybe my uh, Red Bull? Like, uh, Mine, Red, Red Bull would, would be another one, yeah. Mine's simple.
2: I'd want Ajax. Give, oh, give, yeah. give me a team that's just yeah. producing youth that's playing good, yeah, high possession good soccer, total football, teaching Move. teaching yeah. teaching a young team how to just play. With the ball in the possession. So my my choice is Ajax. It might not be sexy. It not, might, might not be a top oh, it's five sexy. team, but I'd I go Ajax. It's as good as the burritos. So the question is, which city? Is it like Ajax? What would it be? Ajax, Ontario. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the shoe would fit there. It would, yeah. I, I mean, this is super random, but it would be hilarious to see a club in like... I don't know. China, like the Maritimes or like put them in or Saskatchewan yeah. playing high possession football and it's yeah in those locations.
1: Ideally Quebec because they have all the talent right now.
2: Oh they could play. Put
1: up. an IAX owned team in Quebec. I would love to see it.
0: Uh while we're on this topic, actually I heard uh, from someone in the league office that uh, if Canada do well in the World Cup, the uh, the preliminary conversations with potential owners uh, could actually peak or at least that's what they're hoping for as we know a lot of uh, cpl expansion owners have fallen through the cracks uh mainly due to the um the COVID. but also a lot of this is something a lot of people don't talk about they've also fallen because for the longest time ever up until david klanican left the cpl was if you don't agree with me you can go screw yourself uh, and if you don't, know, but seriously, that's, that's what it was. You know, you had to follow, you had to agree with everything that the league office did uh, from a business, uh, marketing. And, and until then, I mean, the league office was literally approving every single player signing. Now it's no longer the case. Nordic G, Tarifa Yao's loan to Calgary ends uh, at the end of November. What is next for him? Another loan to CPL abroad? Or does he make the jump back to Montreal?
2: it's montreal rudy camacho replacement yep it's time i think i mean camacho has been a lot better than i thought he'd be this year after he almost retired but i think uh it's been in the works maybe it's a they split games next year and then yao is full-time in 2024 but it's
1: yao time 100 percent.
0: jordan sc which prospect would you rather keep balut tabla or uh, jaquil moshoretti (laughs) moshoretti plays in mls
1: but well, and, and also he's five years younger, yeah. which very much helps. Um, so yeah, Marshall Ruddy for sure, just for that reason. Plus, the thing with Marshall Ruddy is, because he's younger, he's basically a blank canvas to work with, right? Whereas Tabla, he's 23. Yes, he's had a very good renaissance in the CPL. Better than I probably could have ever imagined, to be qu- quite honest. And made the difference yet again in a big game for Atletico-Ottawa. But Marshall Ruddy is, is a player that you can do a lot with. You can turn him into an attack-minded fullback. You can turn him into a good winger, a good number eight. There are many options.
0: Star, uh, who is your winner for the CP, CPL U21 MVP Awards? The list of candidates uh, is available on campio.ca for those who are curious.
1: Well, U21, I'm still sticking with Sean Rea, but... I would be fine with either of the others as well. Asasi De Rosario had a terrific season. The reason I go Rea is, and probably De Rosario a close second, you look at the importance to their teams. And I don't think Valor would be as prolific if it wasn't for Sean Rea. He led the league and chances created. He posted an absurd expected assist. I think it was something like 0.3. And even if you include set pieces, that's a skill. If you can be that potent on set pieces, all the more reason why you should be credited. So I would still go Sean Rea. MVP, I'm going to go Manny Aparicio because I feel like, again, if we look at in terms of importance to their team, Aparicio, take him out of Pacific. I don't know if they make the playoffs. I think he's the engine that makes that team run.
2: Yeah, I mean, as for you, 21, Sean Rea, just again, looking at the numbers, uh, lots to to like with uh, what he was able to produce. This year, but yeah, I mean, you give a shout to Zaze Di Rosario as well. They're both important to their team. Just Rea's creativity, the amount of, mm. he broke the assist record uh, on a team that didn't really generate many chances. He had 0.32 expected assists per 90 this year for yeah. Valor, which is just
1: that's ridiculous, uh,
2: obscene. Uh, but yeah, so I'd say Raya As for the MVP, it really depends on your definition. It does. Because right? like, that's one thing I've noticed is... there's always a constant struggle between is it best player, is it MVP? And I think now with this new split between the player's player and the MVP, hopefully that starts to create more of a split going forward. Mm -hmm. For me, MVP is the guy who's most valuable to his team, and I think that's by definition Manny Aparicio just because when he's there, Pacific had 35 points. Valor on their own had a great season and had 37 Many Apricio on his own had thirty five points for Pacific. They had ten points in fifteen games without him. Like that's or fourteen games without him. So I just think by definition that's MVP. Although I think uh, it's a very it's a very close run between him and Ali Bassett.
0: Over to some T related matters before we dive into this week's Canadians Abroad conversations. There was a fascinating story involving the men's national team over the past few days. Adidas released their own line of 1986 inspired Canada soccer apparel with Adidas sponsored athletes such as Alter Johnson, Samuel Piette, Mark Anthony K, and Daniel Henry modeling the clothes. Uh, this occurred about three weeks after Jonathan David covered the Nike batch after scoring for Canada against Qatar. Dave Decola, your thoughts on CANMNT players in photoshoots wearing 1986 inspired gear, uh, not Nike? Good on them for rubbing salt in the wounds of CSA and. Nike well it looks like the relationship just you know just hearing rumbles and whatnot and, and what we know already what is public the relationship between CSA and Nike could not be worse.
1: no and the fact that you've now got Adidas sponsored athletes trying to stir the pot it's not helping at all but I mean good on them and to be quite frank, they can recoup lost revenues that way. And good on Adidas for capitalizing, too. Say what you will about the quality of the clothes. I know we got a question about that, but they recognized an opportunity and took it, and uh, now they stuck it to one of their major competitors.
2: Yeah, I'm no marketing genius, uh, especially (laughs) if we go back to some conversations I've had with my prof last year, who I've had some disagreements with. But there's Again, I will never fathom how there was so much interest in Canadian soccer merch after a women's team won a gold medal and a men's team qualified for a World Cup, yet the handling of merch has just been deplorable. Like It's been
1: horrific. You had a golden goose, and you wasted it. <laughs> had two golden goose. Two golden gooses, yeah, yeah. They were
2: just dropping golden eggs all over the shop, and you couldn't provide kits when they were in demand for both. Mm-hmm. And then you make a World Cup, you have a chance to make a phenomenal, brand new, exciting kit for the exciting team of the tournament. You're somehow the one of 32 teams to not get a kit. And like, what's hilarious is that like we haven't really sat down and thought about it. Like, I just find it wild that Saudi Arabia is going to the World Cup with the new kit over camp. Just like, think of something. A Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be buying a kit from Saudi Arabia unless you're in Saudi Arabia?
1: Even if you went with the excuse of, well, this is a Nike issue. This is a manufacturing issue. Nike has marquee stores across the country. Canada's a major market for them. You don't think that they could recognize, oh, the women's and men's have just achieved historic accomplishments. People want the kit. Yeah, let's start producing and fast-tracking this and and get this out to the stores, get this out to Canada's soccer store and get this done. Like, you would think that there would be recognition there, which is why I feel like this is on both the CSA as well as Nike
2: yeah and it's just shocking because again i went last week i went to a local soccer store because i needed some gear and i was just t- chatting with the the owner because i was waiting in line we were bored and we we're talking about canada going the world cup because it's a topical subject and it was just like yeah people have been coming here for six months asking for merch and there's nothing to give them just because there's nothing to order and it's just like stuff like that That's again wild. it's just ridiculous that I don't know, you know, it's just hilarious to see for example all the money issues yet there's just this obvious revenue stream that is being ignored. But again, we've hashed this discussion out a many yes. time. I just had to drop my Saudi Arabia take cuz I've just thought about it and I just find it hilarious yeah. that See so yeah, again, Saudi Arabia is getting kits for the World Cup. Every name a team and they're getting kits for the World Cup. Canada is the only one that is they are. and that's just hilarious to me in my mind.
0: Well, the the, the football world is laughing at us. I mean, I've had people from from england from spain uh, reach out to me and say thomas why does canada not have a, like i'm trying to explain this crap to them and every t- even uh, twice i went to a viewing party uh hosted by the voyageurs in canada and and guys come up and the, and then they're asking each other hey how did you get a hold of that jersey oh i didn't i purchased it on amazon it's a fake like, yeah, I mean, that's very. Or, or I even met one guy who literally went and bought a Nike shirt, like not even like one of those run shirt, running shirts you get, like a black yeah. one or a white one. Yeah, and then yeah. he sold the Canada Soccer logo. Like nice. these are the lengths that people are going just to get Canada Soccer
1: merch. The only reason I have a Canada Soccer jersey was in 2019. I don't know how this happened specifically, but. I think Sportsnet got some freebies from Canada Soccer at the time and I was like okay yeah I'll take one and there was a large there that fit me I was like great I'll take that and I've had it for Literally the last no, three you years have gold. like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly like so even at that time the only reason I got one is because they just happened to send some to Sportsnet I was able to get one otherwise I would still be trying to find a Canada Soccer kit
0: That is jets how much do you like the new Adidas Canada team merch Okay, this was an interesting one because for two reasons. One, uh, when your expectations are so low as a Canadian soccer fan, yes, you take anything. Anything that you can get your hands on, you'd take.
2: Yeah, people were getting hyped about the Canadian tire kit, let's be honest. Yes. It was very mid at best. <laughs> That's generous. However,
0: however, these are not good, man. These are not good. It's these better than the Canadian cutter. Tire one. These are cookie cutter t-shirts, for fuck's sakes.
1: These ones are okay. Like I have seen better, but I've seen worse. And again, on Adidas, good on you for capitalizing and producing something because again, the bar is very low. So like, hey, we'll just put something out there. It'll be cheap enough to produce and people will buy it. So I mean, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I'd say it's like a six out of 10. If I had to give it a, a rating, maybe three stars out of five.
2: I mean, they can't. There's not much they can do with it. They no. can't. They can't put soccer. They can't make any reference to Canada soccer. No. So, it, 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 you know, that's it, for that
1: reason I give it like a slightly above average rating.
2: Yeah. So, I'd say that you know it's okay. I just think yeah, it really shows the the state of affairs and how things have been left.
0: Well, they tried. That's what matters. Arch Stanton, <laughs> with soccer's rise in popularity, two competitive national teams, and a 2026 World Cup on home Do you think the CSA can capitalize on some sort of corporate sponsors that have severed ties with Hockey Canada?
1: Well, Uh CSB is going to be getting all that sponsorship revenue, so I don't think it really matters what sponsors they can lure away from Hockey Canada because the money's all going to go towards CSB. That could be reinvested into some Canada Soccer stuff, but that's ultimately who the money goes to because they got all the sponsorship revenue as part of this deal that they signed with Canada Soccer.
2: Well, I was going to say, and it's not like Canada soccer's closet's completely empty either because there's still some skeletons hanging around. So, if we're talking about yeah, hockey Canada true. as issues, I mean, we, we look at, you know, maybe the, the remnants of the Bob Berarda situation, true. the Herbert Boosby Jr. situation, then the whole obviously mess that's gone on the last uh, few months, and then in the last couple of years, it's not like.
1: Yeah, we're know, not squeaky clean over here in soccer land, unfortunately.
2: With uh,
0: Canada Soccer having such bad PR, hypothetically, who, who do you think that money goes to, like, the sponsors that did pull uh, on Hockey Canada? Like, what what sport do you think would, it would go to? Maybe Test Canada? Just because they've done a pretty good job, yeah. you know?
2: I mean, if they're smart...
1: Basketball, too. They'd take that money
2: money. and put it to women's professional sports. Also
1: that, yes, where there's far less scandal unless a coach decides to be creepy.
2: Well, I think there'd be so much potential for investment in such avenues as well, so maybe it would be a smart way to go.
1: Yeah.
0: More on that later. Deadline for the preliminary World Cup rosters is uh, actually this Friday, October 21st. uh, Coaches can name up to 55 players, but the final squads have to be chosen from that preliminary roster. Uh, so next week will will be a very, very, very interesting discussion uh, as we should expect surprises. Uh, Chris talks footy. With the World Cup a month away, can we get starting 11s from each of you and then uh, a consensus uh, starting 11? Hashtag up the NFP.
1: All right, I wrote mine down. We can chop and change whoever we want, but I'm coming at this from... Right now, who is fit? Right now, who is going to be able to step in without any problems in terms of match rhythm and all that? So I've got Borean, Then I got Johnston, Vittoria, Miller, Adikubi, um Estakio, Piet, Kone. Buchanan, David, Davies. They can line up as a 4-3-3. They can line up in a 4-4-2. It could be a 3-5-2. It's very tactically fluid. If Hutchinson is fit, i probably go Hutchinson over Piet because then he can have... Ashtakio, as a more box-to-box player, utilizes offensive capabilities. Um, Hoylet has, I think, just as strong of a chance of starting as Buchanan. Like, I think if Herdman persists with the pivot, which I can't really see him justifying at this point, but let's say he does, then I reckon Hoylet will get in over Buchanan just because he can, off the ball, form a midfield trio and make up the numbers that way. But that is what I would line up as right now.
2: If I'm doing it right now looking at how things are trending I think I go borean and goal mm-hmm. Johnston uh, Vittoria, Miller out of Cookby. I think uh, you go Hutchinson you stack I think Hutchinson is trending well I think it's I think it's you know the, the plan is to have him fit for day one of the World Cup so until there's a setback in that plan I
1: hey I love that
2: so I'm sticking with that I think I go Teju Buchanan Alfonso Davies Jonathan David my 11th man I am torn. I think I give it to Junior Hoylett for now, yeah. but it is by a whisker over Ismail Kone. Okay. Just because I think he's he's yeah. certainly, I think Junior Hoylett gets it just because in that first game you go for experience. So yeah. I, I will no, lock, if we're going to do our final 11, our consensus, I think we stick with Hoylett. But I'm just throwing yes. Kone in yeah. just because yeah. fitness, form, you know, that wild card, that connector in midfield. If Ustakio and and Hutchinson are there, you know, he gives Kone a shot. If Hutchison isn't there, I think Piet 100% agree, but I, I, I'm still operating under the sense that Hutchison should be good to go by day one, but we'll see. Yeah.
1: If he is, then that's what the trio should be. It's him, Mastakio, probably Hoylet, but I would be very happy to see Kone, but I do think it would be Hoylet. And then you I have the with. three-headed monster, Buchanan, David Davies.
0: Not much to add, just besides the fact that, to me, Johnston will be more fit than someone like Larea. Uh, and I just think that Pedigree-wise, Hutchinson deserves to be in that starting 11 of Canada's return to the World Cup after 36 years. Unless he can't, like you
1: mentioned, Piet. Yeah, Yeah, uh, yeah, that would be nice. Piet would be the perfect replacement. I
2: think ideally Hutchinson walks out with the armband, and even if he can only go 45, there's five subs. You've got options on the bench.
0: And uh, Davies, David Lairn,
2: that trio – Good workup. I don't go
1: Laren myself. Yeah, no, I'm he's Buchanan. not playing enough. He's. I think you have to go
2: Buchanan. Laren did Buchanan, and we'll we'll talk about it, But Laren didn't even make the squad this week for yeah. a routine league match. Like exactly. it is starting to be quite worrying. Yeah,
0: yeah. leading goal scorer in 2021.
1: When he was playing regularly for club.
0: He delivers for Canada. Good enough for me.
1: Did he deliver against Uruguay?
2: Well, he's just he's uh, played right. hundred minutes. Yeah, since exactly. August. So that's it the is problem. A, it like, is a worry. like if
1: he was playing even semi regularly for Club Brugge, say twenty yeah. minutes every week, I'd say that's yeah, sure, throw him me. in there. But he's not, so therefore you have to take him out. Buchanan's on fire; you got to put him in there.
2: Yeah,
0: that's the debate, right? I mean, he just made his Champions League debut for Brugge. Uh, <laughs> <medical, so> that's <laughs> I that's—I don't know. I, that's the thing. It's you know, it's it's one of those the the form versus the pedigree, right? I mean, Laren has more pedigree than Buchanan um Hutchinson has more pedigree than piet but piet is playing
2: well it, it's four. not even form i'd say because you know I'd, I'd take him it's minutes because i'd take him playing 60 mediocre minutes right course, now because so at least I. at least you know laren's one of those players that he's got a that rabbit in a hat kind mm-hmm. of about him he'll pull it out of nothing but again he's got like a hundred minutes since yeah. august like that's a worry
1: and he's shown remember the 2019 gold cup when he was not playing at all really for Besiktas I think he was just about to get loaned to Zultavor again, actually. Correct. and he went into that gold cup and he looked so rusty he looked way off the pace his anticipation was way off most players would struggle in that situation but Laren especially cannot cope with going long periods of time without playing even 20-30 odd minutes here and there.
0: Uh, fried Matt's yeah. early prediction for who scores our first of Hopefully, many goals in Qatar. I'm saying a nice (laughs) 93rd minute penalty from these to beat Belgium 1 0.
1: That would be glorious, but um, I'm going to go with the fairly boring Jonathan David. I think he gets it done.
2: I think that's Um, just, it's fitting. Like, it's a style. I I, I almost hope it's Jonathan David. Cause what I've loved about his goals over the World Cup qualifying, he's got a sneaky sell in him. Like a lot of the guys, they, <laughs> they, a lot of guys they score and it's just kind of like like Davies. He scores, it's just kind of like fist pump. It's yeah. like he gets happy, but he like he, like Davies almost like loses control of his emotions. Mm. He just like fist pumping and he you know he, he does whatever. But a guy like David, I just loved how he's been so calculated. Like he's had his you know all, the the spin the finger around. He's had covering the, the Nike he's, he's logo. He's had covering the Nike logo. He's had all these different like he's, he's just the kind of guy that's so cool you see it in league one too he's had the famous rose celebration for his mom right. which was a fantastic yep. one we see it with other poses and dances like, i think david has a sneaky celebration him if he scores the first one so i just want it from that point too
0: yeah Tony from toronto what is a csa's expectation canadian fan presence in qatar uh well actually uh what i was able to find out about this is that um uh, there is actually, for the Voyagers, not the fans going on, on the run without any communication. This might uh, disappoint some people, uh, but looks like less than a, th- a thousand from the Voyagers. Maybe from the there's Voyagers, some yeah. Canadian, fans, Canadian fans who don't have contact with the Voyagers that are going on the run are going to show up in Canadian flags. But, I mean, that's it.
1: That is your latest report brought to you by Canada's fan liaison in Qatar. It's also a
0: busy time in the women's game. So let's go over some of the hot button topics, starting with Canada at the U-17 Women's World Cup. Their tournament is over after drawing 1-1 with Tanzania in Tuesday's Group B final. As a result, Tanzania joins Japan in the knockout stages with Canada and France eliminated. Canada finished with two points from three games after opening the tournament with a 1-1 draw against France. Uh, Who knew Tanzania uh, was that good?
1: Uh, How do you rate this failure? Look, they went from fourth place in the last tournament to out in the group stage in this tournament, but France also got knocked out. So I feel like it's one of those situations where I almost want to almost say... Look, do not take other nations lightly these days anymore because they're starting to, maybe not even just pump a lot of money, but spend it wisely in their women's programs to the point where you're going to start to see the fruits of that labor being bared. I still think Canada's fine in that regard, but I don't think they're gonna be the powerhouse that they have been for the last 20, 25 years as more and more nations start to take women's soccer more seriously. Um, they were, I thought they were slightly unlucky not to win against Tanzania, to be mm-hmm. honest, and had they done that, they'd be through to the next round. We wouldn't be having this conversation. So I don't think it's really a, a time to panic in terms of like, oh, like is there a problem with you know youth development in the women's game? I don't think it's at that point yet.
2: Well, I think many things can be true. I think there's there's talent coming through. Um, I think, for example, Canada was missing their best player from qualifiers, Rose Malouf. That's and true. They yeah. struggled to score goals. You wonder if someone who scored twelve in World Cup co- or in qualifiers could have helped. But even then, like, yeah, a lot of their talented players showed well throughout the the tournament. I like Shukwu was was fantastic up front. I mean, Hernandez-Gray, as expected, did well in the midfield. Anna Hauer, Uh, you know, some of these names did well. You look, you can go down the list. But I think one thing that's clear is we're seeing this from youth tournaments. Again, it goes back to the similar themes with Canada as a whole. It's not just enough to say to have talent, but now they've got to have a plan for the talent. And that's where they're maybe falling behind. Is that it's great for the senior teams? Like a lot of these U seventeen players, I can see having a, a legitimate path to the first team. The same way there's already U twenty players making a jump up to the senior team, like Simeo Wujo, Jade Rose, uh, you know, Zoe Burns, etc. Et- et but the problem, you know, the thing is, it's great to have that pathway. At the end of the day, the youth team serve to, you know, help the senior team. But it would be nice to do better in these tournaments. And I think that's where some things that I noticed from watching, and it's the similar themes, there's flashes of individual talent and there's times look like they've never played together. Like it's times where you're looking at the field against Tanzania and there was patches where it was like, okay, this is, you know, you'd, you'd want to see a little more chemistry. You'd want right. to see a little more organization. You want to see a little more shape. Uh, to, to fit the talent so i think that's just a common theme across all youth systems i think they have to realize that there's talent and to be honest it was a good point that i saw on twitter they're probably not even unearthing all that talent like they're still you know maybe not looking as well as they could in the prairies as well as they could in the maritimes and they're still working on that so there's talent but now the next step again it's like with the the men's u20s the men u23s the women's u20s how do you build a program that consistently gets these players together in camp so they can compete in these tournaments because i think at the end of the day Uh, the tournaments will also be valuable so that's kind of the feeling i got the good news is i thought the u17s did a lot better than the u20s i think you can see that as mentioned it shows the talent of canada's pool that at the u17 level where there's less of that pro gap that we saw at the u20 level that u17's canada's team uh were a lot more competitive and did well so ultimately i think it proves further that there's talent now it's a question of how do you nurture it how do you put it together so that they can compete long term
0: uh, Alex didn't they have a uh, a microcycle before the team uh, actually got together in India?
2: Yes they did. Yes they had a, they did some playing all summer and then plus with the uh, the NDC women's team played uh, together in the League 1 Ontario then obviously the White Caps and you uh, in League 1 BC that was about 15 10 to 15 players of oh, the no. team so it was a lot of chemistry uh, but and you could see those partnerships for example I thought some of those partnerships were well but I think again I think more needs to be done to it's not just chemistry as well I think it's just organization you could tell that some of the players didn't necessarily know what they were doing on the pitch all the, at all times and I think maybe that's part of the next step of Canada is really progressing an identity really knowing what yes. you're going to do and that was something at the men's level for example we saw it was noticeable at the U20 mm-hmm. again a talented team but there was times where they looked like they'd just been thrown together at a park and mm-hmm. it was a kick around. And,
1: and they were it turns out because they changed tactics right before the tournament started and all the players were like uh what we did this against costa rica yep. now we're doing this in the tournament okay
2: again it shows there needs to be work done to to ensure that sort of long-term system planning organization mm-hmm. so cause some of these teams they look organized at a tournament they might not be talent but at a tournament that's all you need is to be organized to be disciplined uh and it makes all the difference
0: have the poll of ben steiner here but uh, alex mentioned the uh you mentioned that they may not be scaling all the talent. You know, I, I covered uh, McEwen and there's a 16-year-old center back starter for the national champions uh, for U-sports competing against 18 to 22, 23-year-olds. I I wonder, I wonder why a 16-year-old playing in U-sports, youngest ever, didn't get that kind of call-up. I know they have to go through a Rex program and whatnot, but, you know, you start to wonder maybe if there was sort of what MLS has, if they would actually... Uh, would we'll look into that because i believe the u20 mens just had a microcycle in montreal or i think it was the u17 yeah, u17, the u17. U17, yeah. u17 and they had two or three um they had two or three players that were i believe playing in two mississauga academies uh yes, and uh, it right. wasn't professional right and in, in the women i think it's even more so because a lot of the players you know uh develop from younger and, and it's not so rare to see a 17 18 year mm. old pro player uh Wsoccer.ca. What are your NWSL playoff prediction?
2: I'm going all in on OL Rain, I think. Sure. I mean, they won the title, so it's not exactly <laughs> bold. I just think of the top four And I think San diego is kind of the underrated shout. Just I was just gonna say that. They have the yeah. best goalkeeper in the league, potentially in the world, and Calen Sheridan, and they have Alex Morgan. I think that's a recipe of that you could use in the playoffs. Uh, but I think between San Diego, I just think, don't think Kansas will be able uh, to, to get by. And then Portland, they've just been such a mixed bag. Maybe I'm just kind of souring on them because they won't play Janine Becky or start Janine Becky to save their lives. Or the
1: other things happening at Portland. But yes. yes,
2: also that too, on and off the field. So I'm just going for OL Reign. I just like the vibe that they had going on. They had some good signings. They seem to use all their squad quinn thrived in that system jordan heitema looked great yes. since coming over from psg uh, they've caused so much talent between you know rose lavelle and uh, you know megan rapino you're going down the the, the list there it, it just seems like OL reigns plus they'll have the home field advantage all the way yes, through i'm exactly. back i'm
1: back in them yeah
0: uh, jane asked who would you have nominated to the ballon d'Or from canada
1: it's either down for me either jesse fleming mm-hmm. Or possibly Ashley Lawrence.
2: I just think again, Kadisha Buchanan, for example, yeah, played. 90, another one. She played 90 minutes uh, in a in, in a Champions League final and won it this year. Mm-hmm. Won a league title. Uh, did super well. Uh, as you know, I just think something like that. Is also to be considered. And I just find it again ridiculous that for all that Kadisha Buchanan's won and all the minutes she's played in top competitions, the gold medals she won, that she hasn't made—it's
1: absolutely nuts that she hasn't even been like, considered for
2: well, it. She, she hasn't made a world eleven since like twenty fifteen when crazy. she was when she was like in League One Ontario or in That's college, crazy. which is just absurd that she's been at Lyon for so long and hasn't made a world eleven as far as I'm not if uh, as far as I last checked. So I think for Canada. Fleming I think one day should win a Bellalo. Oh, I think she has the potential yeah. I think Ashley Lawrence flies under the radar. I think Kadisha Buchanan uh, certainly has a shout and mm. I mean from there f- yeah, I think that those are probably the shouts this year on any I think a sneaky shout for example is it's a shame again they need to continue to develop the women's side of the awards. I'd love to see an award for best goalie because I think Kaylin Sheridan could have genuinely been in the running uh, for you know a similar trophy to the Yashin Trophy mm-hmm. uh, on the women's side, and I also would have loved to see the uh, young women's a U twenty one women's player that'd award because cool I feel like mm-hmm. that would also be a fierce battle. Could be Canadian battle. dominated. You never uh, know. Yeah, it could be some Canadian potential yeah. to to look at there. So again, lots of award debate to be had there.
0: But well, hey, Thibaut Courtois was complaining how there wasn't a goalkeeper award and they just made it up this year. Uh, and who knows who is actually voting for the Bound, uh, who is in charge of uh, picking the Bound or winners. Surprised even that Davies uh, didn't even get nominated. I mean, best left back in the world, but uh, conversation for another time. It's a
2: goal scorer's award, to be honest. Sadly.
0: Uh, Etienne Collette, how would you rate the CAN WNT's progress since the Olympics?
2: I think things are trending in the right direction. I mean, results obviously are always nice. Four wins mm-hmm. from four. Well, always scream out at you in a good way but i just think there's a lot of trends that people wanted to see are being developed i mean canada's changed up their tactical identity it's more of a 4-4-2 4-2-3-1 now uh, they're, they're having a different look in midfield they're a lot more fluid uh, the, you know, they're trying to play a little bit more out of the back. Yep. They've really changed the way yep. how they attack from the front line. Either they have that focal point with Eveline Vienne now, who is the main number nine, or you have Jordan Hoidema, who's developed a lot It's a hold up play. They've really found a good role for Adriana Leone. And these four games since she, you know, the, the, since the uh, the summer, pardon me. Uh, And it's promising because now, yeah, this is all without Ashley Lawrence. Hasn't played a minute. I mean, Kadisha Buchanan is is now back, but she missed the one camp. Vanessa Gilles hasn't played a minute. Jade Revere still to consider. A lot of players still to consider in this mix. Christine Sinclair missed on the camp. But it's finally nice because you're seeing a tactical identity that can really help Canada play the modern soccer that they need uh, at the World Cup. Because I think Canada, again, there's no doubt about the talent in this Canadian team, but there is no doubt also that they're going to compete against the better teams next summer at the World Cup. They needed uh, to to find a new tactical identity, one that is fluid. And I think with this new formation, they've done that. So let's hope they continue to build off that. And it's going to be exciting to see how Lawrence fits in that system. Riviera, Gilles, Buchanan, and get all the uh, Sinclair and get everyone back and healthy because they now they've now made some really interesting roster decisions for themselves. And last thing, they've also done well to integrate youth: Simeon Wujo, Clarissa Laracy. You know, Zoe Burns, Bianca St. George has stepped up. A lot of new faces stepped up, and I think that's huge because now there's a genuine fight for the 23 or 26 World Cup spots that there'll be. Before, you could kind of almost write the 21 of those names in pen, whereas now I could write maybe 14, 15, and then the rest is yeah, a fight for, for those spots.
0: I wish we could talk about this, but we just don't have the time. But Stephanie Lave, really quickly, gave an interview to CBC saying um, that, you know, she hopes there will be a Canadian Women's Professional League done soon and of course it is a constant evolving uh issue now to the connects abroad mailbag and ran up we go bonzo davies was back in Bayern munich's lineup against freiburg after recovering from a bruce skull and finished the full 90 in a five nothing win on sunday mark avajo with a lengthy question i know one criticism of davies was when he was younger that He wasn't very good defensively, but the more I watch him, the more I think he is now an elite defensive player who is very good at reading the play and making interventions. Do the numbers support this? And if he is an elite defensive player with a reasonable strategy against Belgium, be that we just glue him to De Bruyne to neutralize him, sure, by giving Davies' assignment, it will take away from our attack, but it could give us a better chance to secure a point. That is actually a very good question.
1: So in terms of the statistics, and it is a very good question, Mark. Thank you for asking it. Davies has definitely improved defensively. If we look at certain metrics like his tackles, interceptions, they've always been very high, but his interceptions have gotten a lot higher over the last couple of years. I think he's now averaging about 2.88 per 90 in all competitions this year. I think he was a smidgen under two more often than not prior to this season. And then his tackles to dribble pass ratio He is 56% successful against dribblers, whereas for the past few years, he's been 50% or under. So he's getting better at anticipating opposing dribblers. He's getting better at recovering possession and just overall getting better defensively. The Matt-Marking-De Bruyne question is very fascinating. I personally would not do it. And the only reason I wouldn't is I think you can get Stefan Ashtakio to do that job. And he can kind of mark that zone off the ball myself. But it's a very fascinating question. I'm actually getting giddy thinking about this because this is something that tactical tactical nerds like to discuss.
2: Oh, well, I'm a team. I love man mark. Like I love the idea of a man marking a different another team's player. It's not. It's an underutilized. But would you do it with that's the thing. I don't know if I would do it with Davies. I feel like. I think they should do it. Hundred percent. I think they well they have to but, man mark De Bruyne. Yes. So I, especially, I think in Belgium, like there's such a clear threat. Yeah. Difference. It's not like Croatia where there's a balance. You just kind of kind of have to put out a net to try and stop Croatia, whereas Belgium, I feel like if you can get De Bruyne off his rhythm in any form, that could be a key. But, I mean, hey, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. I have two names for you, Peter, if we're okay. going to throw out the man-marking discussion. Go for it. Sam Adekugbe.
1: Okay, yes, I like that, yeah.
2: And Alistair Johnston.
1: Oh, okay. There we go. That's the answer damn okay because
2: i think alistair johnson he's comfortable playing. but do, you, the, sw- but,
1: but do you switch him over because because what i DeBruyne think will be playing in that right half space
2: because what you could do is just kind of give johnson a free roll and that allows you to start larea for example who a guy you might want in a situation like oh, that where he's I see. he's he's okay. you want him because he's going to be a leader he's going to bring that right you know he's going to go down the right right and then you just kind of let tell johnson to play a free roll if you're playing left center back if that's where De Bruyne is, you play left center back. If you're playing CDM, that's where you go. And it's like Johnson's a guy who's flexible enough to play that role and follow De Bruyne around. So I wouldn't hate that. He's comfortable playing in midfield, and it would just kind of be a free roll yeah. off the ball. And then
1: the reason I I really like the Atakubi shout is, is I'm trying to like draw on my phone right now in terms of <laughs> i trying to map it out to myself. This is how seriously we're taking this question right now. The advantage to having Kubi do it is defensively, we know he's very good. We know he has the pace to keep up with De Bruyne. A Stachio at Porto covers for the left back. Yep. So it works perfectly. <laughs> if you're going and with the, the trail. stuck, it.
2: you to play on the ball a little more.
1: Exactly. So I, I think that might actually be the way to go here. Is Adakubi doing it?
2: Well, I, think that one, I think one of Adekubi or Johnson... Because the only thing with Adekubi is who plays left back for him. I just like the... Well, kind of fills... You, you, you can fill Shtakio in, but I also think Adekubi brings enough going forward... I guess that, if
1: you push in Miller, Adekubi, and then you push in Vittoria, then you push in Johnson, and then eventually Buchanan kind of tucks in...
2: Because I just think Adekubi is so key to the progression ball progression of Canada, we saw it like ever since november he's been integral to how they progress the ball whereas johnson i think is a huge part of it but say it's not like montreal where everything runs through him at montreal and, and with can everything kind of runs through out of buchanan davies from deep i feel so, you could probably just so that's why plus with the fact they can bring in loray i just think johnson might be a little more expendable into in terms of his what you lose in the build-up and he can do the same job defensively as at a but i think there's good arguments
1: for both I feel there is a way, though, to be able to bypass that because I. Well, think unless you, could you just...
2: play Lloris at left back as well to cover for. Yeah, could that, be...
1: that's that's one possible solution. You could also just try to focus more down the right, but then Davies isn't really getting the ball unless you play Davies inverted. But I don't know if they do that. It's a great question, though. It's it's very fascinating in terms of what they could do to Man Mark de Bruyne. But the Atakubi shot's really good. I I quite like that.
0: Stefan Taki, I mean, that's that's an interesting point as well because he's Canada's arguably. He's Canada's most important player. You know, at least wasn't qualifying for me. Um, maybe not the most talented, but at the end of the day, I mean, you want to, you know, kind of give him a chance to to go forward as he's, you know, kind of European career is taking off. We also saw a couple of uh, reports from Spain uh, linking Davies to the two Spanish giants. Uh, the always reliable and credible Marca reported that Real Madrid is David as a... Davies as a potential option but only if he doesn't sign a new deal with Bayern. His current contract expires in 2025 Then the Barcelona-based newspaper Diario Sport uh, followed up and said that it's the exact same case of Barcelona who viewed Davies as an option, as a possible option but not in the short term as a deal would be too complicated. Well, I would actually be in favor of uh, Davies spending his uh, entire European career uh, if he can at Bayern. What do you
1: guys think? I feel like this yeah. is a win-win situation, to be honest. Because if you if you stay at Bayern, you get paid very well, you're playing for a top club, the, arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world, well, not even arguably, it is one of the biggest clubs in the world. You're competing for Champions League titles, you're winning Bundesliga titles. That being said, if you were to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid, in terms of the overall league quality, you could argue it's maybe slightly better than the Bundesliga as a whole. Plus, you're playing for one of the Spanish giants. With that comes massive, massive exposure and a lot of prestige with it because then you're up for more awards. You know, all these other factors that you have to really consider. So I I feel like no matter what, you can't lose. I think he's fine where he is at Bayern, but if they get, say, a 90 to 100 million euro offer for Alfonso Davies and they're like, yeah, we can't turn this down and he goes to Real Madrid or Barcelona... That's also totally cool.
2: Well, yeah, I think obviously it'd be cool to see Davies playing a Clasico, for example. Yeah. But same time, like Bayern is a very rare situation. Like most importantly, you mentioned all these factors. What's key for me is they're so stable. Yeah, like it feels like every That's other top important. club is like you know even Real Madrid. They're going through a great period over the past few years, but even before then, uh, they were struggling and there was questions of, "Well, what do you do here?" I mean, we don't even have to talk about Barcelona. We've seen in the Premier League how there's been so many ebbs and flows with every club not named Manchester City over the past five, six years. Like, Bayern's a pinnacle of stability. Even Juventus, we've seen how much they've fallen off the rails lately. Like, Bayern's just so consistent because they have such a great board. Like, it's fascinating to see how, like, they're so well bought in from the financial, from the marketing, from the... Like, even a Like a... Uh, I think in this offseason, you lose Lewandowski and, you know, this is a place where you got pressure like oh you bowed out of the champions like what are you gonna do and they just were so calm and like okay we're gonna get Sadio Mane for 30 million we're gonna get Ryan Gravenberg for 30 million we're gonna get Nazir Marzouroui for Mm -hmm. 10 20 million like it's just such solid business like it's such a well run well oiled club so I think for Davies to be part of that will be good for his career just in terms of stability and he's gonna compete with trophies he's gonna push and he can really be a building block at, at, at Bayern I just look at the way that guys like Kimmich guys like Alaba who have started similarly to to Davies how they've developed in the key pinnacle pieces for Bayern. So. And hey,
1: maybe he could do the Alaba and just go to Real Madrid later in his career. If, you know? he, if
2: he really does want that challenge. And, but I do think the stability of Bayern is really underrated, and I think it's one but of I do think of-
1: he'll stay, by the way. Like, I do think he signs a new deal and stays past 2025. But you know what? It's nice to be wanted.
0: Oliver Kahn, a genius. Uh, however, I do have one thing to say, though. Uh, Bayern are stable. Yes, no doubt about that but only because Bundesliga uh, bans uh, foreign um, investments, you know, otherwise I do not. Well,
1: think they don't ban foreign investment. Just they, the they, they, it, it's the
0: 50 one. plus I don't one. don't think they would win it every year.
1: No, but they, they they have the 50 plus one where 50% of the club's shares plus one has to be owned by the supporters. <laughs> they can still have foreign ownership. A couple of Bundesliga clubs have foreign ownership. It's just that they don't own the majority. So yeah, that that does certainly help, but again, that lends credence to the argument in that well, so, you know what you're going to get.
2: And it's just so stable too because yes, there's the oh, they steal from other Bundesliga clubs there, but again, there's so much ca-
1: happening way less now,
2: but Yeah, and even other it happens both ways. I mean, Leipzig, Dortmund, a lot of old Bayern players go the other way as well. And I just think they're just they've been so smart on the transfer market. Like, there's not many teams in the world, for example, if you want to use an example, not many teams are willing to spend 15 million on an Alfonso Davies and turn him into a gem that's true and that's the sort of business that distinguishes them from the the top teams and right now if you're looking around at top clubs the only other top clubs that are really doing that sort of patient building I'm talking like top super teams it's sort of Man City we're seeing that with like the Julian Alvarez kind of st- signings. those kind of okay, this is a guy who's going to pay off in the long run. It's, I guess, Real Madrid now, too, with them signing Camavingas, the Chumainis, the Rodrigos, the Viniciuses, and all those signs. But there's not many teams that want it. You look at Barca, for example, their spending spree. That's all on ready-made star talent. Again, those are just differences that Bayern uses to their advantage to make it look like they're dominating the league when Dortmund keeps putting up a great push. It's just a credit to how good Bayern is at Mm -hmm. building this empire that they have.
0: Etienne Collette. Do you see Alfonso Davies in the top 30 nominees for the Ballon d'Or uh, next year? Well, I do feel that we just talked about this. It is a, it is a an award for forwards and midfielders. But he does have solidly 10-12 years left at the high high level.
1: He should I'd make the team of the year. At, uh, at the very least oh, he, should he should make be the be team of the world year. 11. Yes. He should be at least doing that. He should probably be among because if you're thinking about Who are the 30 best players in the world? And even if you split it up by position, Davies is going to be in the top 30 because he's one of the best left backs on the planet. But again, he's not going to be anywhere close to the podium because he's not a goal scoring forward or not a, you know, flair type midfielder. So unfortunately, he's not going to get it. Like If Manuel Neuer couldn't win it in 2014 as a goalkeeper, if like it took... Croatia getting to a World Cup final, and then Real Madrid basically winning everything for Luka Modric to get that Ballon d'Or. Don't know how Gianluigi Buffon didn't win in 2006, but Cannavaro, a defender, got it, rightfully so. He had a solid 2006, but that's becoming rarer and rarer. So it's unfortunate, but that's going to be the reality of the situation. Certainly should make a World Eleven. But,
2: but, but, also it's worth noting... Trophies. It's I I hate it because it makes it <laughs> such a trophy-driven narrative. But trophies does yeah, make a difference because one thing is, I mean, a guy that I I I love dearly in terms of just watching and etc. Sadio Mane he finished second in the Ballon d'Or race yeah, and he did. it helps that he won a major trophy with Senegal that Liverpool finished second in the Honestly, if Liverpool won the Champions League final, there's a strong chance Sadio Mane wins. So I'm looking at Alfonso Davies for example. If Bayern wins the Champions League, say next year, Alfonso Davies is what a top three, top four contributor on the team. Like it's not ridiculous to say, no, like I guess not. you're looking at guys like Gnabry and, and Sane, they they run hot and cold. Whereas a guy like Davies is a big part of the team. So if Bayern wins the Champions League, that's the year he made World Eleven. Is when they made, won the Champions yeah, League, true. he made the World Eleven. Not saying he'd win the Ballon d'Or, of course, far from it, but. It, it, for his chances to make a top 30, if they win the Champions League, it's not that outrageous. Just because he played, you so would play, plus you in the success of yes, Canada, yes. say they win a Gold Cup on top of it. It's not yeah. that outlandish. No,
1: but I just don't think he gets anywhere close oh, to the no. podium or oh, anywhere no. close to a top 10, I feel. Just Unless he of moves up the pitch. Yes, exactly.
0: Right, but, but it's also the club he's at right now. I mean, think of it this way. Real Madrid had six nominees, Liverpool also had six, and Manchester City also had six. Well, yeah, that helps well that's, they,
2: they were top four teams in the Champions League. That's why. Yeah. If, if Bayern won the Champions League, I think Alfonso Davies is among the th- top 30 for Ballon d'Or. I don't think that's a hot take to say. No, I
0: think that's fair. Jonathan David was back at it with a brace for Lille in their win over Strasbourg <laughs> on Friday. He's now on nine goals in 11 games and is tied with Neymar in Liga. Golden boot race. David also scored for the fourth straight game. Uh, David also has been mentioned in recent transfer stories, first from Fabrizio Romano, uh, who suggested that Man United uh, should still consider signing him. Then Thorian Plattenberg of Sky Sports Germany reported that Everton was very interested in a transfer in 2023, but there was no concrete offer, and David wants to join a top-12 club in Europe. Uh, He has a contract until 2025 with no release clause and an asking price of 50 million euros. Well, if he wants to go to a 12, top 12 club in Europe, uh, then you're definitely discarding uh, the likes of Everton. Uh, on the rise, Jonathan David has been rumored with the moves to Chelsea and Everton. Also, Fabrizio Romano has given him up high praises and links with Man United. Uh, where would you like to see him go or expect him to go?
1: Man United wouldn't be terrible. Well, that would be one of my top choices. At I'd this say point. in a year down road.
2: maybe I guess to see how the system evolves there, because I think it's a system that long term mm. will fit him. Yes. So the teams, the two teams I've come to realization that I would want him most is the Milans. I just.
1: Oh like, yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you there. Yes. yes so, I, but I, think, about
2: that, yeah. I
1: I do. I mean, Inter for, for sure. I would love to see him, and even AC Milan, like they could. I think they would utilize him pretty well, especially if they can keep Leal for another year or two. But if not, I
2: mean, if we're looking at Premier League, the new Chelsea under Graham Potter, I mean, I'm curious to see if he can finally break the curse of the number yeah. nine for them. But if he can break the curse of the number nine, the fluid sort of front flowing football he plays, I feel like a guy like Jonathan David could be the perfect focal point. So I don't, hate, paper, the, yeah. I don't hate the Chelsea rumors. I just a question of will Graham Potter be able to build? It sounds like under the new ownership, they're really yeah. wanting him to give the free reign. So I wouldn't hate the Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea shout.
0: So here's the other thing. He was the most expensive Canadian player in history when he joined Lille for a report of $30 million in August 2020. And now he's going to break it again, yeah. twice. Yeah. Uh, Ike Ugbo, uh, he was an unused sub as Trois uh, drew 1-1 with Aja On the rise, with Ike Ugbo not featuring off the bench this past weekend for Trois, are you guys worried with the lack of minutes? Could we see a January transfer after the World Cup for Ugbo? It's much needed.
1: Well, like I said, the situation with Ugbo is so weird in that Tois pushed so hard to get him. The coach clearly doesn't rate him too much. He's playing him out of position. Doesn't fit the system. 15, 20 minutes a game doesn't fit the system. So, yeah, I mean, a transfer now yet again is probably going to be needed because if the coach isn't going to play him in his ideal role, then what's the point?
2: It's curious to, to see how this develops. I feel like there's a gem there. If you're a club, if you're going to get a devalued asset like this, like this is Moneyball 101, a, a player that's out of confidence, out of position, you can snatch them and put them in their natural position, lead, have them leading the line again, just get making those runs that makes them lethal. Uh, you know, I was looking through his numbers today, and I mean, his XG, understandably, has dropped. Like last year was elite to now. But if you add in the Canada game where he actually got a chance to play regularly in a system that suits him, like his XG is still well enough over a point 90 basis and he's made you know he's despite the limited opportunities he's got he's still got a goal and an assist again it just feels like Ikubo is a is a player waiting to explode once you put him in the right position to succeed and either Twas geniuses and they play him in his natural position and lo and behold he does well or they move him on in a team benefits so it just again it feels like Twas really shot themselves in the foot with the situation. It's unfortunate because it just felt like he had so much momentum last year. And if he did well these two, three months, he could be starting at the World Cup. And it just feels like now it looks more likely that he's going to have to settle for coming off of the bench.
0: Luka Coliocio was back on the bench for Espanyol's first team. But he was an unused sub in Sunday's victory over Real Valladolid. Dejan Buchanan picked up a back-to-back start in the Champions League and in the league. He went 84 minutes in a nil-nil draw with Atletico Madrid as Club Rouge uh, qualified for the knockout stage for the first time in the Champions League era. Uh, he went the full 90 in a crucial 1-0 win over Anderlecht on Sunday. Uh, he started both games as a left wing back. Kyle Lahren missed out on both matchday squads over the past week as his playing time keeps dwindling. Uh, he wasn't called off for Wednesday's game against Sint Jujin either. On the rise, is there some injury going on with Laren or is he just not in favor with the manager? Can this also go down as one of the worst CanMNT transfers? Some more question from Alice, LFC Youssef. Uh, what do you think about Laren's situation? Uh,
1: no, he's just not in favor. And it's mostly just because he hasn't really taken advantage of his opportunities. I think we've mentioned this many times and now his status as a starter with Canada is in doubt, and when you have Ferran Hutgla and Roman Yuremchuk and and Camille Soa killing it for Bruges, that makes it even tougher to crack the team, so now he's on the outside looking in. I feel like on the surface the transfer was a little confusing just because they had already signed Hutgla at that point, they already had Soa in the fold, but then by adding Yuremchuk that just pushed him further down the pecking order after, you know, what was that, he kind of arrived right at the end of the transfer window I believe it was, so it certainly wasn't ideal for him. But he also had opportunities early in the season to capitalize and just didn't take them.
2: Yeah, it's really the, it's the, the I guess, the uniqueness, the dichotomy, the comparison, the contrast uh, of canon MNT moves really is summed up. So you got Stephanie, for every Stephanie Stakia who goes into a Champions League level club and thrives, you've got a Kyle and where going into a Champions League club also could mean fighting for your place and then there's the flip side of it there's the ikugbo where you make a move that seems makes sense on paper and then for whatever reason nothing uh <laughs> nothing nope. lives up that way for reasons out of his control so yeah it feels like for laren it's just one of those where you do genuinely wonder what's next because you have to wonder uh, after after this world cup teams in mls for example are going to push hard to get him i think there's also teams around europe who would be smart to pounce in and maybe give him a shot to recapture his form so it just feels like if it's not going to happen at bruges you do wonder uh what what's next for him after mm-hmm. this world cup
0: well teams in mls were already pushing for him i mean really hard well they've been pushing
2: for years for him, yeah. and it might make sense just because yeah. by the next world cup he will be 31 32 so maybe yeah I move back stateside uh, might make more sense to him now than it might have say a year ago where he's Fighting for a World Cup starting spot as he was at the time, and he still is.
0: Do you guys remember when Tottenham was interested, like clubs of that pedigree, even some West clubs Ham, Everton, Liga, for example, uh, as well? Uh, do you think? Do you guys think it, it's better for him to go to Olympiacos because, according to news reports, Olympiacos was the other main favorites, or at least uh, from you know what people thought. Because of having the same owner as as Rea, you know, transferring over right. to Conor.
1: Yeah. Well, hindsight being what it is, probably, I think that would have suited him pretty well. Big club in a slightly lower quality league, no Champions League to, to, I guess, kind of dive right into. And I believe, based on what I had seen at the time, he would have been the locked-on starter there. So... It probably would have been the best move, but you know what? He made a decision. He he took the money. He took the Champions League. That's fair enough. He te- you know literally bet on himself, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out yet. It still very well could because when he first got to Besiktas, it didn't work out. Eventually, it did. So maybe something in between has to happen again for him to maybe find his right footing. But for right now, it ain't looking great.
0: Also, this is his uh, second spell in the Belgian league. Uh, yep. You know, he was on loan there. I was sold to Warrigan in 2019-2020 where he scored nine goals in 33 games in all competitions. Stefano Stacchio keeps on rolling. He started in Porto's 3-0 win over Bayer Leverkusen in the Champions League to pull them up to second in Group B. He was an unused sub in Sunday's convincing Portuguese Cup win over Anadia. Uh, Much-needed rest for him. Uh, Steven Vittoria started and scored for Chavez, but they lost 3-2 to lower league Valdres on Sunday. Uh, Junior Harlett started this past weekend in Reading's defeat to West Brom, but looked excellent, logging three key passes and was wreaking havoc throughout the game. He also started on Tuesday's match against Swansea. Theo Corbinou was an unused sub for Blackpool over the weekend, but should be back in the lineup on Wednesday against Hall City. And after coming off the bench last week, Daniel Jebbison was not in Sheffield United's match day squad again. Still no Atiba Hutchinson for Besiktas as he's still looking for his first appearance of the season after recovering from a preseason bone bruise. Sam Akube played the entire second half for sport after a horrible performance from Khan Kanak at left-back. That probably bodes well for Atakube's chances of starting again. Uh, Amir Batarev, the 20-year-old Canadian-Russian, uh, was an unused sub for Soshi in the Russian Premier League as they lost 2-0 to Kriya. Liam Miller, he played about 58 minutes off the bench in Thursday's Europa Conference League match against Sloven Bratislava. He replaced the injured Darren Miles in a 3-3 draw. Uh, Miller didn't feature in the draw with Servets on Sunday, though. Another question from Ben Salvarado. Are there any CanMT players in the pool you're noticing that are receiving unfortunate regression in play in recent times?
1: There's a reason this question is placed here, because right as I was writing the rundown and I saw that Liam Miller didn't start in the league and only came off the bench for that amount of time because of an injury against Sloven Bratislava, I'm like, huh, that's intriguing. He's now really only played a handful of minutes here and there over the last few weeks, and you could chalk that down to conference league happening and fixture congestion and whatnot, and he was still at least starting in the European games, but now it's getting to a point where he's no longer really playing as regularly. At least he's still getting into games, but that's something that, especially with Theo Corbinu heating up for Blackpool, that would be something that's intriguing to watch. Ultimately, Miller's probably still going to get in, but... It's probably not ideal timing for him right now for it to be happening at this stage.
2: Yeah, and the thing is with Miller, he's a streaky scorer in the sense that last year we saw it as well when he was in uh, EFL League One back in the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, for some reason, the team is... Charlton. Charlton. Uh, he, he goes on streaky runs, and I think on Forty right now, timing-wise, he hasn't been able to find his form, but it doesn't help. I mean, we just got pulled up his stats here. You look over the last few games, he... Went 54 against, you know, Bratislava. He went 97 against Bratislava in the other uh, game before that. He went 19 against St. Gallen. Uh, he went 72 in the Swiss League. He went 21, 35, 65, 71. Last year, it was pretty consistent. It was pretty much 60, 70 each game. Mm-hmm. That gave you know, then he'd get his goal and assists. And right now, I think, unfortunately, that he's slumping at the wrong time. 0.07 goals per 90. 0.14 XG per, uh, per 90. So... Uh, he's right now consistently uh, s- underperforming his xg as a whole uh, specifically uh you know you know we're, we're, we're seeing that as well because he's he's getting shots he's he's getting you know he's dribbles it just feels like he hasn't been able to, to to get that form to breach it and uh that right right now that, that, that's led him to the situation where he is now he has also 0.15 expected assists which is Quite decent for a winger. That is
1: that is actually the one area where he's actually been really good. At his chance creation. It's just not all the time have his teammates put away the opportunities he's created. At least he's been consistent in that regard.
2: Well, that's it, it feels like he's creating chance for himself and his teammates. It just feels like he isn't bearing that. And at a club like Basel, where it's a tough season for Basel, I think they're in seventh out of the ten teams. And. In, in you know, the league, and they're, they're at risk of not progressing in a second year in a row in the conference league, there's pressure on Basel. And all of a sudden, if you're not scoring, if you're a winger is not scoring, uh, you don't end up playing. So it feels like a guy like Miller, it feels like he could be a part of the solution for Basel, but right now with how the pressure is there, it leads to a moment where you're not playing as much and you're getting dropped as he has. I
0: don't know about you guys. The answer is probably not. But I really hope that they can bring both Miller and Corbin to the World Cup. Milan Borjan, he started in Red Star Belgrade's 2-1 loss to French Veros in the Europa League last Thursday, uh, but he kept the clean sheet in Sunday's 1-0 league win over uh, Radiki Nish. For the first time in 11 months, David Witherspoon played a competitive match for St. Johnston. He had around 10 to 12 minutes off the bench in a 1-0 loss to Livingston. Leo Bear meanwhile, was rewarded with a start but failed to register a shot in 66 minutes. Victor Lotturi was an unused sub in Ross County's 1-1 draw with lowly Dundee United. Ben Payton did not make the matchday squad. Scott Kennedy had a solid defensive game for Jan Regensburg who cruised past Kaiser Slautern 3-0 in the second Bundesliga. Derek Cornelius played the full 90 for Panatholikos in their 0-0 draw with Astor's Tripolis on Sunday. Maxime Cropot and LFC face Raheem Edwards and the LA Galaxy in their Western Conference semifinals after the Galaxy etched Nashville 1-0. Edwards started in that one while Jacob Schafferberg had 20 minutes for Nashville. Dane Sinclair and Minnesota United lost on penalty kicks to FC Dallas, but were lucky to make it that far after a monster game from St. Clair.
1: St. Clair, by the way, faced 3.35 expected goals on target in that game. Mm. It was one of his best performances based on that metric in terms of goals saved above expected. And, I mean, in the penalty shootout, I was a little bit let down because he's normally very good on penalties, but given... How much he's thrown on his head in that game, I think he can kind of give him a pass for maybe not stopping one of those penalties.
2: Well, much like was the case all season Minnesota. Wouldn't have been in the playoffs without him. They wouldn't have been in the That's penalty shootout without him. And uh, it was kind of hilarious to see Stuart Kerr, his goalkeeper coach, throwing shade at him. I have no idea who he was throwing shade at on Twitter, but he was uh, saying that he was happy that Dane sent a message. So I do wonder if that was maybe a shot at the coaching staff for not playing him last year. Maybe. Which is interesting.
0: I'd show up that that game uh, if it is indeed his best of the year or one of the best is a cherry on top for him to uh, go to Europe in the Ukrainian Premier League. Uh, Mandraker James started but finished, started and finished the 90. You know this four nothing loss to Zoria on Tuesday. Charles Andres Brim finally scored his first goal for FC Eindhoven as they beat top Oz 2-1 on Friday. He started in Tuesday's KNV Cup win over Willem II and was incredibly unlucky not to finish with at least a goal in that one. Simon Collin also scored for Young PSV uh, in Friday's 1-1 draw with Maastricht. He has two goals and one assist in 10 appearances this season. In League 2 in France, Diadine Abzi had half an hour for Power FC as they beat an NC 2-0. And in League 2 in England, Irene Peppel, had 10 minutes off the bench for Grimsby Town in their win over Stockport County. Now, more to your listener questions. Paul Anderson, with the World Cup almost a month away and with the midfield looking a bit uncertain, do you see Arfield squeezing in, seeing that he was on one soccer and KG added him to his roster, so it seems like there might be a bit of interest? That, that could be something.
1: So, everybody who saw that interview during the September window with Scott Arfield, they're clinging to that. Scott Arfield, I am sure would love to come back into the Canadian full because they're at a World Cup, they're playing in marquee games, he's had to go through a lot of camps where they were playing minnows, and you know he had to travel halfway across the world to play against those teams and whatnot. I'm sure he'd love it. But he's saying the politically correct and the right thing to do from a PR perspective. Of course, never say never, right? Like, he just threw out a cliche trying to give a a not controversial answer at the end of the day. That door is closed. It is slammed shut. It is locked in every way. There's no chance he's coming back. I know he's playing very well for Rangers. You have other replacements. David Wotherspoon just came back. He's probably going to get a World Cup spot. The rest of the midfield's fine, as it is. Our fields also did not mesh very well with the group by the end of his time in the national team and i know that that is something that we are saying ad nauseum but it's a massive factor you can't mess with the camaraderie and the chemistry this close to a world cup so once he retired for me that was the end of it and we can move on and i think never revisit the our field topic again no matter what he says and I, I do feel that the reason he said those things on one soccer was to just not be controversial not to stir the pot and I thought that that was pretty clear, like, oh, yeah, he was being very, you know, dismissive and kind of like non-committal in that way.
0: But if it wasn't for the camaraderie, if it wasn't for the uh, the teammate bonding thing that, that Herman likes to talk about so much, I do think he does deserve at least a spot in the provisional Oh, yeah,
1: no, no doubt. Like if he if he gelled with the team, I think he'd be more than worthy of getting called up still. But it, it is what it is now. So therefore, he's retired and the, the door is closed. He'd be honestly starting. Probably, yeah. Yeah, but what it is, is what it
0: is. Yeah. That's it, guys. No more R fuel from now on. Star. Can't help but notice Justin Smith has zero minutes for QRM. Could a Canine Club and MLS try to get him on loan in January?
1: No, he hasn't really made matchday squads. He's made a couple this year so far, which is kind of a surprise. He's been playing for the reserves of QRM for the most part this year. It's been a disappointing loan because this was supposed to be his chance to kind of get some meaningful minutes in a quality league in League D. And it hasn't happened. I don't know if, if, if there'd be a Canadian club who could take him and give him the meaningful minutes at this point possibly the Whitecaps could do it. Like, I could maybe see that as part of a back three, maybe as, like, in the heart of the midfield, maybe next to Kubas or something, and then you can utilize a more attack-minded midfielder, but I think as part of a back three it would make the most sense. Otherwise, I don't really see it.
2: I mean, I had the same thought as Star. literally, today. I just no, randomly thought of Justin Smith. I'm like, could do alone. I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Montreal, they've got Karefa Yao, so that ain't happening. Toronto doesn't really seem to be set so, on um, playing a back three i mean if vancouver it wouldn't be, i guess if you could find a way to get a player like that in wouldn't hurt i guess to uh as, as a body to, to fill the roster to develop to grow but either way just just the smith needs to find a club that plays i mean you, you do wonder at in december if uh, if if lil or not lil jesus if if niss nice talked to kiviri uh, at, you know at in December or January be like look like what's going on like is he playing a phenomenal center a new club just because it feels like he there's somewhere that he should be playing in some form so if it ain't gonna work at QV who's actually had a pretty good season they've pushed up uh, they're out of the relegation zone which is huge for them they're a very small club uh, one that wants to avoid relegation so if things aren't gonna change it might make sense to to go to the Corbin last year where you move him to a better loan situation yep. one that uh, benefits all parties
0: and yet they announced him with the photo and everything and, you know, it got hope. Um, him, I know it's tough already, practically nearly impossible, but if Justin Smith and Valahabuni Booney had been playing up to now, you know, besides the professional squad uh, nomination, you know, I think it was already tough that they could go to the World Cup anyways, even though a lot of people were suggesting that. Edward Honsing Wong, I noticed that Metcalf has been a starter at Stabak July Uh, Thoughts on how he has done with promotion likely? Do you see Metcalf holding on to that spot in the top division in Norway?
1: First of all, I'd like to state here for friend of the show, Beau Chevalier, that uh, there will be no Metcalf slander uh, this time because I was unnecessarily and quite uh, drastically harsh to Metcalf a couple of years ago for absolutely no reason. And I apologize to Beau and Patrick Metcalf. So um, he has actually been very good for Staubach. This year, since he came into the lineup, he has started in the heart of a midfield three where he's almost been, as we like to say, Alex, a destroy and progress midfield or maybe a bit more destroy than progress at this point. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't been good at progressing the ball. He's averaging about 5.2, 5.3 uh, deep progressions per 90 at Staubeck, which is pretty solid for a number six so there's a lot to like there and he's still very young as long as he keeps getting regular minutes and then maybe makes that jump to nor to the Norwegian top flight which I think is very possible then I think he can actually go on to have a pretty solid career similar in a way to Adekubi's rise
2: yeah he's 24 and you know it's not old for <laughs> by no. soccer standards and uh, I mean, you have to remember because of his, he had that back injury when he was in his late, when he was at, and then he ended up, when he was at Whitecaps and he was around 18, 19, then he went to UBC and then he went to Whitecaps. He had a bit of a vagabond journey to where he is now. And, you know, I mean, uh, you look, he's also averaging 91.4% pass rate, which for a midfielder is quite high. And mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, more of them are forward than backwards. Uh, he has, they are, yeah. Something like eight, you know, averaging eight or nine forward passes. Uh, per 90 versus like half of that going backwards so uh there's a lot to like there and if they can get promoted and hopefully you can stick around because they got a new coach stabic now they're at five points off of automatic promotion with two games to go so their magic number is just one so it's all but guaranteed if that new coach sticks around and gives them trust maybe he thrives next year and uh his career really launches from there because yeah looking at his uh, you know stats uh, since he's been at stabic i mean yeah 91.5 percent pass accuracy Uh, He wins 55% of his duels, which is a very high rate, especially for a midfielder. Uh, You you know, you look at all the defensive stat, he has 3.5 interceptions per 90. He's winning a lot of aerial duels as well, defensive duels. And then you go over to the passing, Uh, you know, there's a good amount of passes into the final third, passes in the penalty area forward pass where it passes versus back pass. Like he's doing a good job of progressing the ball. So someone I'm always keeping an eye on as a former white cap, the 24 year old Metcalf. And uh, it's just nice to see him thrive in his natural position. Cause obviously at Vancouver, they decided he was a right back for no good reason, which yes. made no sense.
1: Or would occasionally I play as a box to box guy as part of a double pivot. And I'm like, Okay, but you're also throwing him right into the fire against Kansas City away. Why are you doing that? Like, Yeah, and then you have
2: Michael Baldissimo as well. Looks best in a three-man midfield. You can at least try Pet Metcalf and Baldissimo. Metcalf Met doing the destroying, Baldissimo doing the passing.
1: I still don't know why I was so harsh to Patrick Metcalf. I'm still trying to think about this. It was just so uncalled for. Peter looking at his
0: mistakes as a young journalist. Don't we all? Not
1: this was a couple of years ago. I wasn't even that young. That, that was the crazy part. I was just so rash. But I apologize to Patrick.
0: Arch Stanton, 79. Can you provide some commentary on Malcolm Johnson at Maryland? Al Johnson's brother who went on the show and said that his brother might even be better than him.
1: Yeah, he did. And to be honest, based on the the little bit of film I've seen of him, I can see why he is. Um, He's much like his brother. He's playing as a number six or as part of a double pivot. And the fluidity he has moving with the ball, it's much more advanced than Johnston at that age, I have to say. And that's what's most impressive. And he has very good vision, progresses the ball nicely, um, pretty active in terms of covering a lot of ground, which is very encouraging to see all a big reason why he is actually going to be a first round pick at least that's what he's projected to be in the 2023
2: draft Yeah, i mean good numbers uh so far this year uh for maryland scoring 0. 0.23 goals per 90 0. 0.15 xg which he's a for a, for a wing,
1: He's a leading scorer this year yeah, too for, for a
2: winger slash attacking midfielder that's not bad because no, he's obviously. not out number nine Uh, you you know you you look at some of the other uh, numbers good dribbler and good crosser so there's some intriguing numbers there from what i've seen of the film potentially exciting player he's someone you should target i just feel like for the super draft it's such a crapshoot why as we've seen with the white Cats, for example waste these picks on these players you end up never hearing who disappear versus why not give it a chance to a canadian like a malcolm johnson to round out your roster maybe start in mls next pro and move from there so Hopefully, hopefully, he's a guy that all three Canadian MLS teams are looking at could be maybe a shrewd draft pick. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're looking at is uh, Peter actually adjusted his numbers here in front of a zero point four four goals per ninety this season uh, for Maryland and zero point three two xg, which is borderline like elite forward numbers. Yes, uh, you look at zero point zero nine assists, zero point zero six x a, completes a high number of passes. He gets, certainly gets that from his brother, getting pa- a lot of passes in the final third. It's a good number. He's
1: almost him. like, you, you know who I'd compare him to? I actually just thought of this comparison. He's very similar in terms of just the technique as Sean Young. That's actually who he kind of profiles as in a lot of ways.
2: Just a little more of a just, winger yeah, exactly, Exactly,
1: and yeah. maybe a little bit more goal-scoring prowess. But yeah, in terms of like when they're playing in the midfield and distributing and covering ground, very similar.
0: Matt Paternostria. What happened to Ricardo Ferreira? Well, he got injured and uh, couldn't recover from that injury, and he never came back, plain and simple. Speaking of center backs, a very interesting final thought just came to my mind. Kyle Hybert a 25-year-old Canadian defender from Winnipeg, currently playing for St. Louis City SC2 this year in MLS Next Year Pro. At MLS Next Pro, uh, he will be in the first team in MLS next year in 2023. Uh, Given we are more or less desperate for new up-and-coming young center backs, at least on the right side, uh, do you guys think he can be more involved and thrive uh, in that first team unlike how someone like a Callum Montgomery wasn't able to do it or crack it with uh, Minnesota United?
1: There's no reason why he can't. Um, The only thing I'd say is he's a left-sided center back, or at least he predominantly plays there. Canada does have a lot of left-sided options, so I feel like he could still be an option for sure, just because if you're playing an MLS and you're starting pretty regularly, you're always going to be considered, and I think if he can crack the first team 100%, you call him up. He's solid in the air. He's fairly comfortable carrying the ball forward as well, so uh, he's going to be an intriguing player to watch to see if he can kind of crack the first team come 2023
2: yeah i mean i'll be honest i'll have to watch more of him because i didn't get much of a chance to see much of st louis this year did miss the time they came to vancouver unfortunately Uh, but in terms of his numbers he has a high dual win rate and high aerial dual win rate high interception rate suggests someone who knows how to get stuck in and stick in between lines completes 80 percent of his passes so obviously profile-wise at first glance lots to like obviously i'd have to watch more of the caveat there and uh, but again if he's playing regularly in the mls uh, you know next year i think we'll all get a chance to watch more of him and see if he can crack it because i think it, that's what it comes down to if he can get those regular minutes uh he has a chance just because uh, you never know with the pool and at least it's good to widen the net and at least know that You know, there's guys pushing like a Hibbert. It would be great if Cal Montgomery could finally get a chance because he always does so well in the USL and then he never gets a shot in MLS. So, between Montgomery, Hibbert, uh, certainly some center back prospects coming up. Karifa Yao, hopefully next year. Maybe a Dominic Zator makes that jump. Hopefully, we can uh, have some fun to track the next generation of Canadian center backs as the next cycle begins.
0: Yes, uh, we definitely do need it, um, especially for 2026. hope you enjoy these long episodes i know many of you ask for it specifically the content and the list of questions do warrant it uh, i know we like it and have enough to work with that will do it for this episode thank you for listening uh, you can find us here next week same time same place until then up the
2: nfp